Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Ridge Octopus Cephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorkening and Inebriart Podcast Networks, and as always, we are brought to you tonight by Deadly Grounds Coffee, coffee to die for. I am your host. My name is Parasite Steve, a.k.a. Steve Van Samson, a.k.a. Steve of Destruction, though nobody calls me that. Yeah, I haven't even said that in a while. I know. And I was thinking you- that. I know. <laughs> With me as always are my uh, my morphing, uh, acid-blooded, uh, drippy cohorts, uh, Nintendo. Ah. In space, no one can hear you scream. Have you tried though? Do you yeah. know this for sure? I have. Or I I, I, I knew a, I knew a kid. Bad. I knew a kid whose dad had tried it. Wait, who's talking right now? Oh, it's my other co-host. It's the amazing Ape Alchemy. We're all gonna die. The only question is how you check out. Do you want it on your feet or on your fucking knees? Begging. Yeah, it'd be the the first one, I guess. I'll take I mean, those the, are the former bad instead of choices, the latter. Though. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so tonight we are doing an episode that I have been waiting to do for five freaking years as a as a host of a podcast because i don't know why like you didn't want to do all the mm-hmm. obvious ones at first and that was like wow right we've been on the air for all this time and i haven't done we still haven't done the obvious on ones. freaking like we haven't done a ninja turtle episode we haven't done a few like really obvious ones so anyway so tonight it's all about the alien franchise that's right the alien oh, yeah. franchise very near and dear to my heart as uh as some of some of our hearts some other hearts on the show but before we get into that, our guest tonight has done it all, folks. That's right. He's ridden the worms of Arrakis. He's seen attack ships on fire off the shoulder of, shoulder of Orion. He's uh, he's the Sultan of Celluloid, the maestro of motion pictures, or at least talking about them. Heck, he's been doing it for 14 years on his podcast. Please welcome to the show, host of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast, El Goro. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. It is. It is the only way to be sure. <laughs> How's it going, gentlemen? Oh, going great. That, that was a hell of an intro, man. I mean, I, oh. I, I, oh, I, I don't take praise in the best of circumstances, and that was decidedly over the top. So thank you for making me feel awkward. But I'm looking That's forward. to That's how we do. That's how we do. Um, luckily for you, it's uh, this is a audio only podcast, and lucky for us, it's only podcast because we have you on and you're like a, a hunk of man 
a big <laughs> hunk of man flesh and we're just like three dweebs so i'm i'm totally fine with it being a being a audio only podcast this one time Especially Fair because enough. I'm also flabby and in a tank top, so none yes. of you want to see me right now. I am also in Eldoro, a tank top. I'm sorry, you have to see me right now. But <laughs> not at all. Not at all. That, that, that's that's the world we live in. <laughs> God, you look like an H.R. Geiger painting. Jesus, God, there's so like many Jack penises <laughs> So tonight we're going to be talking aliens. Before we do. Goro, I'd love it if you told everybody out there about your podcast. You have an awesome, awesome show. It has been on the air for 13, 14 years, something like that. It's absolutely insane. And you have covered just about everything. I can't believe there are still more movies. We will never run out of movies. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm the host of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. It's a weekly movie discussion that uh, show that I've been doing since 2010. So coming up on 14 years. And uh, yeah, uh, every week I select two films that are somewhat tied together by a theme, either selected by me or selected by my very generous patrons, and I talk about them. Right now I'm in the middle, appropriately enough for this episode, of my side timber turning everything over to science fiction films. So yeah, I'm super stoked to talk about these because, as I've said many, many times in the past, as some people are to Star Wars, as some people are to Star Trek, my science fiction franchise is Alien. It is without a doubt my favorite of them all. I've seen the films countless, countless times. I'm sat next to a bookshelf that's just absolutely crammed with all kinds of books and action figures and everything of it. I love everything about Aliens. And uh, yeah, Steve, all you had to do was to ask me to talk about <laughs> Aliens. I'm showing up. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Coming out in force, um, man. <laughs> well that's that's awesome and you know what's really funny is because i've asked you to come on a couple episodes and you know scheduling you know you're a really busy guy and and it just hasn't worked out but but this one i was like i was trying to think i'm like who can we get to come on alien and i don't know like you were you did end up being the first person that i asked but i i had to like kind of think about it for a couple minutes and it's like okay i'm gonna ask goro see what he's up to so i hop in there to our our messenger chat and it's not mm -hmm. like we talk all the time or very often or anything. And the last thing we talked about, like, I don't know, earlier in the year was freaking aliens. <laughs> it's like the Amazing. funniest thing. <laughs> like, it's like, like literally the funniest shit. Like, I, I couldn't have planned this. Uh, like, oh, this is definitely... This is definitely it's so funny. Right That's just like how it is with some people. You know, it's like, oh, I have like you and I are like kismet on this thing or like <laughs> whatever. And you're just like totally vibe with that one thing. But yeah, it's totally. pretty funny. Yeah. No, yeah. Thanks yeah, for being on. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for having um, so, me on. I'm looking forward to this. Great. Nice. Great. So what we're going to do, folks, uh, is we're going to go through only the movies. We're going to stick to just the movies. Um, a lot of times we will do tangential stuff and uh, video games come up a lot. And there are a lot of alien video games and we're considering doing a crow's nest on just them. We might do that uh, in a week or two. We'll see. And and stuff. But tonight, you know, there's there's technically six alien movies, whether you like to admit it or not. So we're just going to go through all six of the actual movies and uh, we're going to do them in the order that they were released, which is not the order they take place in by any stretch. And uh, we're going to see how it goes and try to get out of here uh, at a normal time. So without further ado, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the writer, the writers and how this got started. Um, nice. In case you were wondering, uh, Alien was not based on a existing book, really. 
Uh, it was written as an original script by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett. It was Shusett who apparently suggested that O'Bannon use one of his other film ideas about gremlins infiltrating a B-17 bomber during World War II. I learned this today. <laughs> and uh, in Ted, instead, he he's like, well, we could do that as the second half of the first movie, you know, because the first half is not about them being trapped in a close space with a monster. Right. Like, it's so right. different. Mm -hmm. But that that whole second half of the first alien, it's like, OK, it's very, very different. So um, there was originally a, a gremlin on a B-17 bomber idea, but same you know, basic idea, I guess. And that kind of worked out. Yeah. Um, the working title of the project was Star Beast, but O'Bannon disliked the title and ended up changing it to Alien uh, because apparently, like, he's like, oh, look how many times we say Alien in this movie. Um, pretty cool. Also, uh, just real quick, because I'm going to forget later, I'm just going to mention it now. There's this weird, like, expanded universe thing, or maybe it's a, like a from the comics goro if if you know more about what i'm about to say please just jump in but sure. the the title star beast was reused later um there's one character from the cast of alien 3 that actually survives it and that character um apparently like in comics or something or one of the books or something went on to like live out his prison sentence get back to earth and then he became an author and he wrote a book called star beast that was the um account of what happened to him in alien three supposedly yep. and then uh i guess the original idea was that winona Ryder's character in alien resurrection learned a lot of what she learned about the aliens through the reading the book star beast but none of that's in the movies so i don't no, know no all of that cool. was in the um i think that was originally published in the book that was called the wayland yutani report and it was the character of morse who was played by danny webb because he's <laughs> the only guy who survives alien 3 he promptly gets arrested yep. again and then he just writes <laughs> out his account of what happens and he called it star beast because throughout all of Alien 3, they were always referring to it as the Beast. So it's just an, an, a fun little yep. way to kind of tie it, it into yep. behind the scenes, expanded universe stuff. Yeah. That's pretty cool, cool stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that until today. Uh, I was just reading a whole bunch of crap. And that's what we do. We read crap so you don't have to. We, we just talk the crap. We, we say <laughs> crap. We crap on our mouths into your, into your ears. Um, so O'Bannon, over the years, has been talked about has been asked many things about this movie. This is probably his, his biggest thing that he ever did just because it's so loved. And um, although he wrote lots of stuff. So uh, some people say that like, Oh, this is movies actually pretty derivative of, uh, of this or of that or whatever. And O'Bannon has uh, actually stated that he quote, didn't steal alien from anybody. He stole it from everybody. And then he, he went on to like list all these things that he actually took little parts from. And I thought this was pretty cool. So I'll just read these real quick. The thing from another world, 1951 um, inspired the idea of a prof of professional men being pursued by a deadly alien creature through a claustrophobic environment. The movie forbidden planet, 1956 gave O'Bannon the idea of a ship being warned to not land and then have the crew be killed one by one by a mysterious creature when they defy the warning. Forbidden Planet, of course, is the Leslie Nielsen sci-fi movie with yeah. Roger the Robot. And uh, and that, that monster was animated. So he was uh, a little less scary to me, I, th I think. But he's still very cool. Planet of the Vampires, a Mario Bava joint. 
my God, I've seen this movie twice. I can't believe it's on this list. 1965 contains a scene. This is my favorite scene, too. I've never drawn the comparison, but like it's my favorite scene of that movie. Uh, it contains a scene which the heroes discover a giant alien skeleton, which influenced the discovery of the, of the space jockey. Kind of fun. Oh, neat. And then there, there was a couple books and short stories he also referenced. I just thought this one was kind of neat. There's a short story called Junkyard, uh, published in 19... 19- my God, there's a loud vehicle outside my window. Maybe that's the junkyard. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was that's really a, that audible. Was the, that was the Salaco out there. I don't know. 1953. Salaco's not so sporty. No. Uh, you got to get the Nostromo for that. Um, so the story Junkyard, written by Clifford D. Simak, features a scene involving the crew landing on an asteroid, which is which includes a chamber that's full of alien eggs. So he literally took like just all these just things. buffet style, just like I'll have a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of these, one of those. Give me some yeah. of that, and then yep. bam, alien. And then and, you, could, and you go back to and read old genre magazines that were coming out at the time in like 1979. You know some old uh, famous monsters, or I believe Starlog, and you literally had people in the letters column saying, "Oh, you know, I checked out that new Alien movie, and it was okay. It was basically a remake of It: The Terror from uh. Beyond Space." <laughs> so geeks Man, have always were... <laughs> been those guys. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, big fucking time, right? I know. It's always like, actually, this idea originated. Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I know, I know. Everything's a fucking ripoff. Just be happy. Yeah. Well, it's just funny because That's the cool. you know the the pastiche is is considered to be so original now mm-hmm. at after all this time and everything. And uh, unlike it, the terror from beyond space, the the suit for Alien actually fit the actor, so his tongue wasn't <laughs> hanging out the mouth. His, uh, yeah, there, there, weren't, there weren't as many fabric creases in the uh, Giger design for the Xenomorph. Definitely, definitely right. not. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so speaking of, so let's let's just move on to just broad strokes, and then we'll get right into the movies. The alien creature itself, so unique, so endear- endearing, uh, yeah. and enduring too, as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's just absolutely like this complicated thing that numerous movies added to and added to and just kept going. So I'll just stick to like stuff from the first three movies, the kind of basic life cycle and, uh, and the different morphs of the Xenomorph. Um, I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, but we're just going to say the chicken. So you're going to start with the Xenomorph queen. And then she lays the eggs, which are really called ovomorphs. And that's supposed to be actually not really an egg, but a a separate creature, an actual like living thing that's uh, just exists to house another living thing. Um, so everything's just very unique. I just, I just yeah. love. It's I like love a three so species that. reliant <laughs> life cycle. It's yeah. Like, mm-hmm. right. So then the the ovomorph will sense if there is a life form nearby, and if so, then it will peel back its its vaginal folds, its quad vag folds, and uh, and release the face hugger inside, which is of course the little spidery thing with the tail. And uh, and that then latches to the face of said life form and impregnates them through the mouth with an embryo that gestates in various speeds, depending on the movie. Let's be real. Yeah, depending on plot need. <laughs> yeah. It gestates at the speed of plot. <laughs> right. <laughs> so ridiculous. So different. Uh, and uh, then uh, the life form inside grows to a certain point, and then it grows and it it bursts out. It needs out. It's like I am done. I'm ding. The oven is done. And uh, 
and the chest burster bursts through the chest as it's as it's so want to do so aptly named yeah and then it, you know in this form it's just like a little a little baby pink like penis with a mouth kind of thing you know if you kind of like don't know you know like just a little and, then, and it like makes little sounds and then it's it, so in this form it's it's very you know vulnerable you know this is not a formidable thing yet so it just kind of screams at you and runs away but it's super fast <clears throat> and then uh, it kind of just finds a, a nice, a nice safe place, and it just kind of, you know, uh, morphs and continues to uh, to grow and metamorphosize, metamorphize, metamorphosize. They get big really fast. What it is? Uh, yeah, pretty fast mm -hmm. at the speed of plot, and uh, and then you ding. Now it's really done. You get the adult xenomorph, and depending on what you popped out of as a chest burster, what. What DNA was siphoned off from your host creature, you're going to look a little bit different, which is, I think, one of the more interesting mm. things about this creature, because there's just so much sure. so, like, so much possibility there. Action figures bird. had a freaking yeah. field day with this. Oh, oh yeah, sure. they did. I mean, and when I was a kid, reason. my very first exposure to the very concept of alien came courtesy of the Kenner action figures. Hell yeah! yeah. The idea that there was a there was a uh, a bull alien, and there's a scorpion alien, and there's a gorilla Shit, yeah, alien. Dude, I mean, that's yeah. something a little kid can just immediately yeah. latch onto. Yeah, it's funny that, that, alien, right? that sort of uh, element didn't even come around until the third film. You know, prior yeah. to that, we just had the typical bipedal alien drones or warriors, and then the queen. Mm -hmm. So. It was a nice element that was added in with Fincher's film. Yeah, it it sure was. And, you know, I actually think that that is probably why I sort of dug in to love starting to love the franchise, because for me, this is, you know, Goro, you said this is your favorite sci-fi thing ever. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard for me to top Star Wars for just overall love. But it's like if, if you're just talking the first two movies, I probably do like those first two movies better than any Star Wars. But Star Wars has such a breadth of, you know, stuff sure. that I enjoy. So it's 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 kind of hard. It's it's kind of unfair because it really is it's all about those first two and for some people the third one as well. Uh, I definitely am a fan and we'll talk about that later, but um but yeah, no, it's 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 really high on my list, you know. And I think that I had seen it before because of Spaceballs. Because there's that ending oh, scene of Spaceballs yeah, yeah. where John Hurt shows up and you know, he eats the <laughs> he had the special. <laughs> and uh, you know, you get that check please scene and uh, <laughs> Alien comes out and sings hello my baby, hello my honey. Oh and, no, not again. Right. And <laughs> and as a little kid, that had to be explained to me from my mom. I didn't understand that. I was born in 1979 the year this came out so you know i i saw space balls way before i saw alien and i saw space balls like 20 yeah. times before i saw alien and then you know she's like oh this is from this movie let's watch the movie when i got a little bit older and we watched it and i was like okay this is pretty cool and then i don't even know if i had seen the second one before those action figures came out that you were talking about the kenner figures with all mm -hmm. those those animal guys. I, I, my favorite was the Panther. Nice. Uh, I know Tim, you loved the Mantis. The Mantis was my shit. I loved that one. 
It doesn't make so any cool. sense, though, because a mantis alien would be D-speak. He would be the size <laughs> of a mantis, but they're like, he's fucking huge. So I'm like, the gestation <laughs> logistics just doesn't work, man. Just, like a, just chalk uh, it up to being a giant alien mantis, and then that's sure. what is impregnated. And we, we can go with it. <laughs> we can go with it. Like, would smash a friggin' Earth. Uh, it would, yeah, it would eat it or something. I don't it know. Would just like, <laughs> it's I don't not, know. Right, not the right one. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, yeah when those... Ass. Yeah, when those came out, and it's cool because those were re-released recently. I assume by NECA, it's got to be right. Like the yeah, the NECA was the one that was doing yeah. the uh, updated versions of them. So and cool. what really excited me is um, one of the big things because again, the, the action figures were my sort of entree into aliens. Well before I was <clears> old <throat> enough to see the films, I was playing with the toys and I was reading the comic books because every one of those action figures came bundled in with a little rolled up comic book. So that was kind of the introduction to the whole thing and for the longest time those comics were uncollected nobody had put them back together into a single collection or reprinted them but then when marvel ended up with the rights to publish the alien books after the disney acquisition of fox they actually released a big alien hardcover omnibus that recollected so many of the old dark horse books including those original toy comics so I was, oh my god it was one of those where i was on the fence because i had all the books that were in that edition it's like do i really need to lay down a hundred bucks just for a hardcover stuff of things i already have oh it has these uh toy comics that i remember as a kid <laughs> yep i'm gonna lay down a hundred bucks i guess <laughs> i know that seems like a lost media at that point you know you're totally. like no one's gonna no one's ever gonna re-release these little you know action figure ash cans that they're just throwing in there and shit like you know that's so amazing that they put those back out for that. That is That's really cool. awesome. And then uh, I started cool. getting into recollecting the old uh, Kenner action figures, thankfully pre-pandemic, because when the pandemic hit, a lot of geeky collecting kind of went through the roof and the prices mm. went up because everybody was home and was bored and was trying to distract themselves. So yep. the toy aftermarket toy prices went insane, but I was able to put or buy mint on card most of the old alien sets that had the comics at a pretty decent price because there was a certain point they were basically giving those toys away nobody was really interested in collecting them wow and i remember i remember bishop looking very unbishop like oh yeah (laughs) he's got a giant (laughs) minigun he's wearing sunglasses (laughs) well they had the rights to the characters they didn't have anybody's likeness rights right so that's why mark rolston in in his drake figure is like bleach blonde and yeah it's insane They're like, just Super turn funny. him into Funky Kong. That'll be fine. <laughs> Pretty much. And there was yeah, almost that's... a cartoon, but it did not happen. Here, I know oh. here we were talking about just wanting to focus on the movies. I'm dragging us deep into the weeds. <laughs> no, that's it. You can't help it. You can't help it. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, I, I had no idea it was almost a cartoon. Of course, it would have been at that RoboCop cartoon mm-hmm. time. Uh, so probably not super good. But I mean, yeah, I kind of wish it, it's one of those where they were looking for any sorts of franchise to kind of hit the different quarters. You know, you were going to have yeah. uh, the toys, and then there was a pitch for a cartoon. There's rumors that there was some sort of animated teaser that was made, and we've seen stills and a concept art of it sneak out here and there. But to the best of my knowledge, it's never been released on the internet. But interesting. Hope Springs interesting. Eternal. Hmm. Yeah. Well, obviously, we have a there's a new alien TV show coming out. It's in production Mm now. Um, So we're not going to talk about that tonight, but we are. I'll mention it. And I just uh, my fingers are crossed. Uh, I loved, you know, we we did the Predator episode last year. I think it was last year. Maybe it was the year before. It was when Prey was coming out. 
and we were kind of hyping ourselves up for, for prey and that ended up being amazing so yeah I'm really kind of hoping that we do a little bit of a repeat and the the coming alien thing is actually awesome instead of not awesome I don't, I don't want more not awesome yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um so let's dive into the movies proper i'm gonna um i have some basic factoids i have uh i'll just run down for each movie and then if there's i know 8-bit you want to tackle alien 3 so i'm just very quick intro and uh sure goro is there a specific movie movie that you wanted to like you know spearhead the discussion um if i if i was going to choose one then it would probably have to be aliens which is still my favorite of the franchise sure so i'll do um and and obviously you know everybody jump in where you want to jump in joe jump in anytime um so let's let's do that i will go alien 1979 the one that started it all uh directed of course famously by mr ridley scott Cast includes so very small cast. So I didn't list all the cast members of all the movies, but here's such a small cast. We have Sigourney Weaver, of course, as Ellen Ripley, Tom Skerritt as Captain Dallas, Ian Holm as Ash, Veronica Cartwright as Lambert. I always want to say Lambert, Lambert, <laughs> Lambert. Christophe uh, Lambert, Christophe Lambert, uh, <laughs> Yafet Koto as Parker, Harry Dean Stanton as Brett, John Hurt as Kane. Um, Mr. John Hurt. I love John Hurt so much. I'm so mm, glad oh, he's, he's in the this. Best. Um, year this movie was set 2122. The ship was the US CSS Nostromo, a United States cargo starship used as a commercial hauler. Also, we see the derelict planet visited LV 426. It's one of three known moons orbiting the planet Calpamos. Kalpamos? I don't know. I don't remember this name in the movie. Located at in the Zeta 2 Reticuli system, of course, 39 light years from Earth. So I think if we get caught in the weeds describing the plots, we're going to be here for 17 hours and there's just no need because, you know, these movies, these movies, people have seen these movies. So we know what happens. You know, this just, you know, crew wakes up. They're expendable. They go, they, they get a distress call. They go to check it out. Oops, aliens, bad stuff ensues. Bad stuff so, ensues. So I'll, I'll <laughs> leave it there uh, at bad stuff ensues. Now, what I'm more interested in talking about is everybody's experiences and memories and feelings and all that good stuff. So uh, for me personally, as I said, I, I watched this movie specifically because of Spaceballs. And I remember, it's funny, I have this memory. The first time I ever watched it with my mom, uh, I mean, I was probably like 10 or so. And I remember being bummed that the alien didn't have eyes because I liked the eyes on the Spaceballs version better. Like at the time. It's <laughs> <laughs> dumb. It doesn't even have eyeballs. What the hell? Has this thing even seen me? Like, ah, oh, this is why Mel Brooks is the best. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this is a slow movie. It's a very uh, kind of a cold movie. Um, it's really, it really evokes the, the, the loneliness of space really really well uh a lot of the dialogue is is very organic it doesn't even feel like it's written dialogue a lot of it is just characters in mid conversation with each other it really you, you feel like these are real people um that know each other and everything and um and when there is a, a you know a specific plot point that needs to be addressed then you know the 
you get you get more dialoguey dialogue, and it's all good. It's all it all feels real. None of it's not one word in this movie is cheesy. I mean, it's just absolutely says as much as it needs to say when it needs to say it, and it's constantly changing. So just like just like the creature, just like the titular creature, the 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 type of movie keeps changing. You know, when you start out with John Hurt, who feels like he's going to be the main character of the movie, right? He's the he's the first one to wake up. He he. We follow him over to the control panel. He absolutely feels like he's the main character. Ripley is just one of the side characters, and then eventually she's the one who starts making all the good decisions, and they start following her. And then oh shit, main character guy is dead. So what do we do now? Um, it's it's a really great thing that um, I I've seen since, but I don't know if I'd seen it before. I certainly hadn't seen it before. I don't know if it was done before where they try to subvert your expectations on just who the main character even is. You know, they they it's a, like a psych out sort of a thing, yeah. and uh, you know, and of course makes you feel like nobody's safe and all that good stuff. Um, and you know, you know, going down to that that LV four twenty six, and they you know, discover this giant toilet seat. And, uh, and of course that's the derelict, uh, for those who don't get the joke, it, it is shaped like a toilet seat though. Let's be real. I mean, it's just shaped like a toilet <laughs> yeah, seat. Yeah, it, it is. It's like an HR I mean, Geiger toilet seat. I mean, you could, you should, they should have sold those. It's not as geiger as it could be. Like <laughs> there could be more dicks on it, but there could yeah, always be more dicks on it. Well, that's the thing. While his art is tremendously phallic, we can't ignore the Yonic imagery into it. And it looks like a toilet seat, but it also kind of looks like a pair of legs that are up on a gynecological stirrup. And the entrance they go into, <laughs> need I go on? It's right. Geeger. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like, who, who produces Does it look thing? like Roger a snatch? Corman? It's Geeger. <laughs> <laughs> so they go into uh, the derelict spacecraft, which, you know, I love truly how weird the derelict is mm -hmm. uh, we're making fun of it but like i love it though yeah it is it is cool it's, it's utterly... cool because of how weird it is like yes. there's so many things like that in this franchise yes. too where it's, it's like i don't know alien. on paper like right it just feels like so out there and of its own design and foreign to us and mm -hmm. that's the exact reason why it's so arresting and you're like damn i can't stop watching this thing like this movie is so gripping Mm -hmm. um because of all that stuff and yeah, yeah for sure it's got i this, think any any ship and any sci-fi that's that sort of you know goes against the grain as far as like the idea of a central cockpit and wings um something like the millennium falcon i feel the same way about i don't actually think the millennium falcon is cool necessarily i love it because it's the millennium falcon mm -hmm. you know i if, if you just showed yep. me a, the design for that and i had and it wasn't connected to anything i i don't think i would even right. care right you know it's and, and not an amazing shape by principle <laughs> it's not right. like oh i love that circle weird. with the little pointy outy part and then the dip yep. in the middle it's just like no that's just what yeah, the I mean, it's really, good like. part. <laughs> really big fan of it uh, but yeah no 100 percent. yeah 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 and then they go in and it's my favorite scene ever which is of course the discovery of the the quote-unquote space jockey this alien pilot that was once piloting this thing and he's so ancient that he looks fossilized and uh of course we get our first bit of foreshadowing of, of what's going to happen with the organism because people who went to see this movie they didn't know they they did not like at all spoil oh, what was going to happen oh, oh wow i've never actually watched like original trailers to see how they tried to mislead you 
That's oh, it's, know- it's just a barrage of sound and imagery. And it's it's actually oh, a really cool trip to watch the original Alien trailer because there's something about it that feels very modern in its approach that they give nothing away. They don't even oh. show the alien. It's just screams, it's flashes, oh. it's the klaxon of the of the Nostromo going off. It is wonderful, wonderful marketing. Damn, that's mm-hmm. awesome, man! That is one of the biggest things with trailers, you know, that I have such a, a beef with now is they always reveal way, way, way too much. They over, oversell, and it's like, dude, people are gonna see this anyway. You don't need to like reveal mm-hmm. all that, but that's super cool. I, I, I'll have to go yeah. do that. So think about it this way, right? So what I was gonna say is the 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 space jockey has a bit of his chest on one side is is exploded outwards, and you can see that he's hollow. So that's your first indication that something like that might happen but of course you're not going to think that at the time you go back and see that but um what you know but think about it this way not knowing anything about the creature in this movie when they saw the face hugger audiences are like oh this is the alien Mm -hmm. it went on to the guy's face this is the alien creature this is it there's no like oh this is a life cycle it's gonna have a bigger you know what i mean there's there's nothing like that so it's like this isn't even my final form concept (laughs) just like you know you guys are shitting your pants and this is this is just the start and that's the best part of not knowing right you know a time when an alien wasn't a commodity yeah the thought of that audience man yeah (laughs) i know seeing the the xenomorph on screen as being yeah. the first time they've ever seen it. I mean, like, I wish to God I could. No, how do you even go? How do you go tell go people about that? You're like, you, you got to see this movie, Aliens. I, Alien. I, I know <laughs> yeah. it's probably not your thing, but you got to see this thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, just look at it. You know. Yeah. So I'll stop there. If you guys want to jump in uh, with thoughts and hopes and dreams, and you know, <laughs> what I did on my summer vacation watching Alien, um, kind of thing. Well, I mean, one, thing, one thing I will throw out, I don't, I don't know if I can send a photo, but at least I can send a link to a photo. There's a, there's an image that's been going around on the internet of what purports to be a uh, photo taken of the one of the test screenings of Alien during the chestburster sequence. So again, this would have been before the marketing. People in like 1978, oh, no 1979 way. had never seen anything like this, and somebody snapped a photo. And there is one guy in there that just feels like my spirit animal from the past. So I just sent it into the private chat to see if you can do that. Um, oh, it's yeah. an amazing photo. But yeah, this this was a film that it made an impression upon people. Not only did it dramatically open up what the possibilities could be for the blending of science fiction and horror, and particularly all how it was following in the footsteps of Star Wars, presenting a lived-in universe. This was a dirty place. These were space truckers. But even the design of the alien, something that Giger was so keen to do to give us something we hadn't seen before. And, you know, much has been made about the fact that it was Dan O'Bannon who turned him on to the work of H.R. Giger, because, of course, Bannon, O'Bannon had worked with him on Jodorowsky's failed Dune project. He knew about Giger. He knew what a great artist he was. And he brought such an amazing quality to the Xenomorph, creating a truly iconic design that is eternal. Yep. Yeah, that, that design will never, ever be forgotten. And, you know, it's like, say what you want about Giger. Actually, one of my friends in high school, uh, 
showed me like all sorts of Giger stuff. Him and his dad really liked the Alien movies, and they were you know really into all the artwork and stuff. And Steve had showed me the movie and and whatnot at that point. But yeah, just like seeing all the HR Giger stuff, it's like see what you want about it, you know, one way or the other. But it's it's incredibly well drawn, painted, what have mm-hmm. you, and it is incredibly singular and mm. alien in a way that almost doesn't seem possible for anyone to have that much of like a a vision of something so damn different and it's why like you see his designs on you know the emerson lake and palmer album and it's like and and all, all across alien and there's so many different things that have borrowed from his designs at one point in time because it's like he's his own entire universal <laughs> style yeah. Like yeah. he's he's almost a genre period of of like design, and that's insane. You know, that's like so crazy to even accomplish that as a single creative. Um, but yeah, I mean the the movie Alien just absolutely had this look. I mean the creature itself, but everything about the way that it glowed it just had this like soft incandescent glow in the ships and then outside it felt so dingy and dirty and just it was like such a textural movie like the whole time you're watching it and uh and it like lends all these different atmospheres to all these different levels of severity different situations you know at the beginning nothing's nothing stressful towards the end it's like you know you have alarms blaring and you have like the flashing lights and everything is stressful and it's in these places that you were once comfortable in at the beginning of the mm-hmm. movie and now they are an extremely stressful place <laughs> and um and that's super cool how it kind of plays on like feeling safe and feeling comfortable and then taking it away from you and feeling like there's nowhere that's safe and uh i mean i don't know like it's such an incredibly Mm. like evocative movie to and there's no there's no scene that's more emblematic of what you just described than the dinner table because Mm -hmm. the first dinner table is you know they're finally awake they're they're chumming out hanging out eating having laughs everything's fun everything's great everything's safe everything's okay and then they do it again and it starts out that way and then, <laughs> then the chestburster scene happens. Yep. So they literally blow out of the water this great safe place that you had. Mm-hmm. You no longer have that. Right. Right. <clears throat> totally. Yep. And I remember the first time that I ever saw it, because again, I was familiar enough with Alien. It would be some years before I would actually end up seeing the film. But one of the things that um, is hilarious in retrospect, just how important this franchise has become in my life was just how goddamn terrified I was sitting down when I was like nine or 10. And this movie was even, I was watching it on television. So it was edited for TV and just moments of tension where I had to flip the channel just because it was getting too intense and flipping back. And I think that's one of the reasons that it did resonate me with as, as strongly as it did, because one of the stories of my life is as a kid, I was, you know, a very fearful kid, a lot of afraid of a lot of things. And I think I attribute that as a big reason why I became the horror fan I am currently am. Because my impulse is if I'm scared of something, I'm drawn to it. I want to learn everything about it. It's a way of kind of overcoming the fear. And mm-hmm. yeah, the first alien scared the living hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Like it's a it's a fucking scary movie for sure. That it's like it. It was haunting at the time that I first saw it. You know, like we had the VHS tapes and I was definitely, you know, pretty young. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, that 
that imagery, the whole, that creature scares the shit out of you. The mm-hmm. acid blood too, you know, just the thought of like not being able to do anything against it. And right. yeah, I mean, I, I definitely had nightmares with the alien featured front and center. Um, but I read it. I read an anecdote about the acid blood today and that it was a decision they made late in the process, late in the writing process, because they're like, um, the audience isn't going to buy that the characters aren't trying to hurt it, which I yeah. think is a problem with every slasher movie ever made. Like that. <laughs> I personally always have. Okay. Freddie is a ghost and he's not real or whatever, but still dream warriors tried. Okay. Sure. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, I, I'm always frustrated by that. And, and they're like, yeah, the, the audience isn't going to buy that. Like, why wouldn't they just shoot it? Why wouldn't they just kill it? Um, how do we get the one creature to survive to the end? Like how formidable is this damn thing? And so then they came up with this idea. Well, what if it, what if when you hurt it, it's a bigger threat, like Mm -hmm. hurting it is, is worse than running away. Like, well, how could we accomplish that? And they decided to give it acid blood. Which seems to be a thing that Dan O'Bannon just kept doing throughout his career is because later on he would, of course, uh, direct uh, Return of the Living Dead, where it's just like, okay, we have we have zombies. We know how to get rid of zombies. Hit him in the head. Oh, hell, these zombies don't die when we do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <clears throat> Doesn't work. Love Return of the Living Dead. Um, Such a good movie. Yeah. So, uh, so Joe, do you, uh, do you have anything to add to no, Alien? You guys pretty much mentioned everything, so... All right, you get to talk it, first. It is. Sure, sure. <laughs> One more thing before we leave Alien is that, uh, Steve, you and I had gotten to see the movie in theaters on a second release. Uh, oh, yeah, right. When it was maybe the early 2000s, and that was pretty effing cool. Was that your first time seeing it? No, no, mm-hmm. I had seen it before then, but, but that was majorly cool to, yeah, to go and be cool, like yeah. in the theater big time seeing all the effects that big and yeah Yeah. that was awesome yeah that was like early 2000s when they did a re-release in the theaters and it was really cool uh goro you wouldn't know some people listening to the show know but tim and i are brothers he's a lot younger than i am so that that night we saw alien was like one of the core memories you know you have these core memories of like Mm -hmm. important things even if it's a goofy little thing that is that is one of those like absolute core memories for me because it was the first time I had ever taken you to a movie without like mom right right or something, and it was a grown up movie. You weren't seeing a kids movie, and uh, we like we went out to Outback Steakhouse after, and like it was just the best night. Oh, it was a so, hell yeah. of a night. Yeah, it was good shit. So yeah, Alien. It's 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 all up in there, all up in there <laughs> for us for sure. Um, I mean, I, I have a much younger brother as well. Uh, he's about 10 years younger than I. And I made sure that when he reached a certain age, I sat him down and we watched the Alien films. Hell yeah. And we watched the Predator that's... films because, you know, that's what big brothers do. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Dylan, you <laughs> son of a, of a bitch. bitch. <laughs> like, well, I'm glad you guys had a better uh, theater experience than I did because I, I went to go see uh, Fathom would did the 40th anniversary re-release of Alien to the theater. Okay. And it was a terrible experience. Uh, basically, you know how certain televisions have that motion blurring effect and the smoothing effect that makes everything look like oh, yeah. Kind of a yeah. bad soap opera? Yeah. Imagine yeah. that on the big screen and what they oh, did to Alien. Why? Oh, no. It was what the awful. Hell? <laughs> oh, give me oh, the grit. God. What are you doing? 
Yeah, yeah you I don't know what, what the hell they did, but it, it looked terrible. <laughs> you get rid of the flavor. It's like you, <laughs> you took a, a nice seasoned steak and you, you rinsed it off in the sink. That's what <laughs> well, you did. And especially since, again, Ridley Scott and his uh, cinematographer, Derek uh, uh, Van Lint, I believe his name is, they made a timeless looking movie. You know, again, this movie is over 40 years old and you don't feel the age on it. Yeah, it has some elements from the 1970s, that overlapping dialogue. It's very, you know, Robert Altman-esque. But from a visual standpoint, this movie more than holds up. Mm -hmm. It doesn't exactly. feel like a product of the 1970s. You can, no. All you have to do yeah, is right. just restore it to how it looked like back in 1979 when it was getting its initial theatrical run and just leave it. That's all you need to do. Yeah, that's what they did 20 years ago when we saw it. It was it was just perfect. It was uh, The only thing they did was it was the director's cut, so it had the extra scene with, with Dallas and yep. the egg, yep. like turning into yep. the egg. That's but, such a um, weird director's cut, too, because he he didn't just add scenes. He also removed some scenes. So it's it's weird watching that because there are certain bits of dialogue that I like that they added in. But then there's mm -hmm. elements of dialogue that he took out that I wish he had kept in. I don't know. Yeah. It's, he made some weird choices in that. I mean, I can I can respect it from an experimentation thing, but it really didn't. I, and I think even uh, Ridley Scott doesn't call it. A director's cut it was more like this is an alternate cut and so we're going to give you the egg morphing scene back right mm -hmm. yeah okay. he's he uh he said that he prefers the theatrical mm -hmm. he said honestly this was a paycheck they asked me to do this so i did it you know i mean he's honest like yeah. and i'm glad like, i'm glad it exists okay. i'm glad that it's that the original version also exists you know lucas yep. could learn a few lessons if you're going to tinker just preserve the old style <laughs> exactly right. exactly Absolutely. Um, all right. So if we are good to move on, let's go to aliens. I'll do my little intro. Then it's Goro and then straight to Joe. I'm not going to say a damn <laughs> word about aliens until you talk, Joe. Um, aliens 1986, uh, directed by James Cameron. Selected cast because the cast of this one is much larger. Returning Sigourney Weaver is Ellen Ripley. Of course, sci-fi and actions Number one leading lady. I mean, let's be real. Mm -hmm. Michael Bean as Corporal Hicks. Lance Henriksen as Bishop. Oh, Lance. I, lo I love me some Lance. Uh, <laughs> Bill Paxton as Private Hudson. Paul Reiser as Burke, who's just a, a total dipshit, but he's a actually a you know, pretty serviceable villain in this movie. Burke and the jerk. <laughs> Burke the Burke jerk. The jerk. Burke the jerk. <laughs> uh, and in her only on-screen credit, Carrie Henn. As Rebecca Jordan, aka Newt, they mostly come out at night. Mostly, the movie is set in 2179, so this is like 50 something years after the first Alien. And the ship uh, that is primarily shown is the USS Sulaco, was the 13th starship of the Conestoga class, operated by the United States Colonial Marines. So this is not a Wayland Yutani ship. Uh, ostensibly, it's not. Uh, anyway, it is a USS Marine ship. Um, planet visited. They go back to our our favorite space jockey crash site on LV426. Now it has been renamed Archeron, um, and it has been colonized by some <clears throat> colonizers, and oh, the main yeah. base is Hadley's Hope, housing currently around 158 colonists as at last uh check-in but there's fewer than that uh quickly 
So I will pass this uh, torch along to El Goro, and you, you, you do your thing, my man. <laughs> well, one of the things that I absolutely love about this film, and perhaps one of the best legacies you can point it towards, is essentially the best way to do a sequel. Because we have Alien, we've established the, the essential premise of it, we've established the characters, the audience, uh, they think they know what they're getting in for. But then you have James Cameron, who himself, incredibly incredible creative mind, took the core premise of Alien, it's like, okay, I can't top what Ridley Scott did, what can I bring to the table? And it's curious enough that this is not the first time he's taken kind of a more low-key psychologically driven story and then blown it up into a huge action spectacle because need, uh, need lest we forget he also wrote the original screenplay for rambo 2 which right. essentially accomplished the same thing right. so yes he basically said okay we have this alien we had one last time what if we have a lot of them we had a bunch of uh defenseless uh, truckers before what if we have marines let's bring all of this firepower all of this technology that i'm interested in and still uh, keep on to the horror because the best thing about it is for all of the firepower for all of the peace through superior firepower uh <laughs> knives nukes sharp mm -hmm. sticks as hudson says <laughs> these guys are screwed from the jump. Just yeah. as uh, Cameron was basically doing uh, Vietnam again in Rambo 2, he's doing Vietnam once again in Aliens, except this time the indigenous uh, force that is taking on the technologically superior military, they're aliens. And mm -hmm. it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. And we also get some wonderful... Um, evolution of the character of ripley now there's been yeah. some back and forth whether or not the positioning of her who was you know very independent uh, a different view, feminist view of kind of a, of a <laughs> heroic character in the first film repositioning her in a mother type some people weren't necessarily on board with that but as i've long said watching this as a as a kid the, her role and the, the her portrayal of Ripley is basically how we want all of our mothers to be. We, as kids, we'd like the idea that if the monster came and take us, our mother would kick all kinds of ass to get <laughs> us right. back. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. There's so much to talk about it, but in uh, deference to not wanting to dominate the conversation, I'm going to turn it over to Nin Nintendo sure. to get your yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, I mean, I feel like you no know, Ripley is like more of a badass in this movie than she was in the first one. Um, like one of my favorite scenes is when she gets into the the uh, the power lift mm -hmm. power and uh, it, it starts fighting the the uh, xenomorph queen, yes. which by the way is like the best part in the whole movie. Oh yeah, like, just the, <laughs> yeah. the reveal of yeah. the queen is so goddamn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super scary, and it's like you don't you. you you see the characters, they, they turn around and you see the, the, the look of terror in, in their faces and, and it's like, you see this big fucking monster and it's, oh my god, it's so fucking amazing, I love it. <laughs> I know, and I, I guess that's like the, the largest puppet yeah. ever still at this point. Yep. Like that's, it's that's just so incredibly huge. Damn. Then, and yeah, just imagine just what had to go into that final fight between Ripley and the power loader and the alien queen. Cause you have the queen, which is a gigantic, uh, 
rod puppet essentially designed by stan winston you have sigourney weaver in this you know exoskeleton power loader suit that literally required a guy behind her to help her move because he was built into the suit herself and one to conceive that and two to be able to pull it off it make it look the, good you know yeah it, and it speaks to the craftsmanship of james cameron i mean he of course got his start in special effects and he's always had that in his mind of that keen sense of how to push forward the technology of filmmaking. You know, we still see it today with what he's attempting to accomplish with the Avatar films. You know, they're mm -hmm. obviously not as well received as, you know, <laughs> aliens, but he's <laughs> always been that guy of, oh, if people are saying this is impossible. Hold my beer. I got this. <laughs> right. I'm going to I'm going to give it a shot and, and usually always pans to land it. Yeah, again, anybody who bets against James Cameron is making a loser's bet because he, he pulls it off every time. Yeah, I know he does. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I like him a lot less these days, but yeah, I mean, you got to give it to the guy. You really do. And I mean, this is my favorite Jim Cameron movie. I mean, by far. Yeah. Uh, I love the Terminators, but like I, you know, I don't know. This this, this is it for sure. Yeah. Um, Joe, Joe, did you want to say more? No. Because you just rewatched this, right? Yeah, yeah, for the first time in like twenty something years. <laughs> I just watched it yesterday. Yep. Uh, and also in in terms of establishing I love it. Yeah. So yeah. And in terms of prevailing legacy, I mean, how how much has the imagery or the depiction of the space marines been regurgitated, recycled, oh, and essentially dude. this is yeah. the type. I mean, obviously, yes. Yeah, the concept of space marines existed before this. Jim Cameron has readily said that he borrowed quite a bit from Heinlein with Starship Troopers, but the even just the notion of the popular notion of space marines, it all comes from aliens, and I'm sure yeah. most people yeah. will readily admit that. Yep. Yeah. No I, kidding. Yeah, I, w I watched a, like so many videos just you know prepping for this, just to sort of hopefully absorb some factoids. And here's one. So this is just an opinion, but it's kind of funny. I, I I really kind of agree. It's like there's there are shots in this movie, especially at the end, when they when they introduce the alien queen, and Ripley sees it, and she's like kind of standing there in shock. And then one of the eggs opens, opens and she up, tilts yeah. her head, <laughs> and she's like, yeah. Nah. Yeah, and it's on now. Just, I'm good, brah. Yeah, and then she just unloads on it and like starts blowing up egg after egg after egg after egg, and then she runs out of bullets and then she switches to the grenades. It's like that feels like every like first person shooter ever. Yep. Like you know, especially like if you're at a really hard boss, and then you're like running out of one ammo and you switch to the other gun and you're like right the rest of that ammo and then you switch to the next gun. It's like. That <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It just feels like it started it all somehow. Yeah, aliens definitely yeah. planted a seed in a shitload of oh brains. Oh my god! It's it so it chest bursted fucking ideas onto people because man, yeah. there's no way. You know, just like anytime you see a platformer game, you're like, these people fucking loved Mario. There's no doubt. You're not going to tell mm -hmm. me you don't know Mario. It's like so mm -hmm. when you see so many of these Space Marine kind of inspired things or any sort of these different games that are out there, all this kind of shit. It's like there's no fucking way. You don't love alien. Like you can't go and tell me you've never right. seen it. I know you yeah. have, you know, it's right. like, there's just a core DNA to yeah. that formula that yeah. aliens is owed. That's yeah. like, it is pretty wild. And, and again, I think for, as a, as a kid who was so terrified of the first one, the, the chance to see the second one hmm. and how Ripley's own story <clears throat> kind of reflects that because it starts off with her in deep trauma 
which is mm-hmm. not something that always gets explored in the concept in like horror franchises yeah. or hell just the idea that the final girl got to a return and b live through the sequel you know we've had a couple right. of final girls return that just only to be summarily killed off but right. it is about her facing that fear and overcoming that fear. That wonderful moment where she just unloads on all of the eggs and all of the, mm-hmm. the queen. That is the best therapy she could ever get. Cathartic mm-hmm. as shit. Absolutely. Like, you know, I'm glad man. you went back. Until the queen you know, rips away from her her thinking that lays the eggs and just chases after everyone. Well, yeah, then it's time <laughs> to run. But <laughs> We go now. <laughs> now one, one, we go. My, one, one of my favorite parts is the, the Xenomorph Queen like using the elevator. That's just that cracked me up. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's so unexpected, why? too. Yep. It's so unexpected. I think that uh, I'm pretty sure Dude. I read somewhere that Cameron wanted to have her get up there a different way, but they couldn't figure out how to make the whole puppet move. That's why you really only see the front of the beast. You're yeah. not seeing her legs too much. Yeah, it's, um, it's it'd be too difficult to pull off a full body with right. a puppet. Yeah. Yeah. It's just too big. How the hell? Yeah. You know, and I know he wanted to do some stop motion, like he wanted to do the power loader as pure stop motion. And they uh they turned it into a basically another kind of rod puppet. Yep. Um and, no, they, were, they uh, did play a prank on Sigourney Weaver at one point because, again, mm-hmm. behind her in the suit was a was a stagehand to help her move the heavy uh, suit. Mm-hmm. And at one point, they actually rigged up a balloon that they started pumping into, and it was right around butt level, making her think that the guy behind her was getting a little excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is just not okay today. That's yeah, not okay. <laughs> uh, They're like, she, yeah. told the, okay. she told the story and was laughing about it, so we'll, we'll yeah. give it a pass. Uh, yep. She's just the best. She just rules. Yes, uh, in all, kicks in all ways. Uh, real quick, Goro, you've seen them, right? Yes. The movie Them with the giant ants. See that. Th- so when I first saw the movie Them, I'm like, oh, this is this is aliens. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of a lot of aliens in the final act of Them when they're going after the giant ants in the uh, like the sewer tunnels. And they're, you know, they got flamethrowers and stuff. And this is like the 50s. Um, I don't know if you had that same sort of a feeling or not, but I always felt not like when this. I first saw aliens, but uh, because I saw them later on. And now I, it, it's still it's still my favorite of those uh, giant radioactive oh, me too. films. Them, oh, them me too. is easily tops for me. E- yeah, easily. It's my favorite. Atomic Age. There uh, you giant, go. <laughs> yeah. Giant bug movie. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, followed by Tarantula. I don't even like the Deadly Mantis. That game that gets way too many freaking <laughs> way too many uh, points. I don't know why the whole thing's just propaganda and stock footage. But anyway, um, so Aliens, Like, so you went back to Ripley and to her journey. And I think that that's really important. And I think that criticism that I've heard is that she like, you know, you alluded to this as well, Goro, that she starts out in the first movie and she's already kind of tough and assertive and stuff like that. And then the second one, she goes into this motherly place. And at the beginning, she's very, very meek and scared and doesn't want to go back. It's like, gee whiz. You mean she's a real person who could perhaps suffer from PTSD after surviving that like mm-hmm. I mean and she was in hyperspace uh hypersleep for like 56 years or something too the body yeah. is probably not that spry at that point yep and, and everything uh, she know has been taken away from her you yes, know it's a reveal gone. that she has a she has a daughter but of course that came in the uh director's cuts and I we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later yeah. there's a lot of things and I think that some of that uh, criticism is 
it's a bit surface level, and I don't think that it uh, necessarily takes into account the basically demonstrated um, arc of uh, Cameron's career, insofar that he has always, always made space for strong women in his movies. I mean, look at Terminator, which was all about yep. the making of Sarah Connor, and then you follow it up with you follow it up with Aliens, and then even into the Abyss and Terminator Two, all the way down again, even into the Avatar films. He's always had a keen interest in strong female characters, and I as think long Ripley as they're is pronounced. Per- well, yes. <laughs> well, you know, Sarah Connor was a blonde. Was she? Yeah, no. it's dirty blonde. <laughs> I I'm going to have to pull up pictures of Linda Hamilton. <laughs> I can't picture her as blonde. Does she really have blonde hair? I, I thought she was brunette. I, mean, I, 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 I picture her with brown hair. Anyway. And anyway. Just, just a passing joke. Blow <laughs> <laughs> past it. It's fine. But uh, yes, I, I, while at the same time, I'm, cer- I'm certainly sympathetic towards the, that other view of it. All I can say is for me, it works. And the other thing that this film uh, thoroughly establishes, because the other interesting thing about the Alien franchise, up for at least the first four, they, from a producer standpoint, which was, you know, uh, Walter Hill and um, David Geiler, putting together these projects, they had an idea to let the directors do what they wanted to do. And that became kind of the the thing. Everybody gets to do their own thing with the Alien franchise. But what we established within Aliens is the notion that, at least with these first four films, this is Ripley's story. We Mm -hmm. follow Ripley. And again, how interesting that is from not only a franchise standpoint, but also from a horror franchise standpoint, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. notion that it is the survivor that is the focus. And the fact mm-hmm. that it is a woman who is the lead of these films. It's something that yeah. I think the Alien franchise should be commended for in that regard. Absolutely. And certainly now, uh, when we talk about the notion of strong women in cinema, Ripley is always part of that conversation. <clears throat> yep. Always. Every time. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it gets all the credit in the world. And um, I know that, uh, you know, it was a question whether or not she was going to come back, especially for three. Yeah. Um, and they they luckily they were smart enough to work it out because um well let's let's save that let's let's go into uh you wanted to mention the director's cut stuff for I did. Aliens. um this is actually one where i mentioned where my preferred cut of the first one is the uh, uh theatrical cut the original okay. cut shall we say i actually prefer the director's cut of aliens um J- jim cameron he rightfully cut it down because the theatrical release was still over two hours long the director's cut brings it to like two and a half hours long but i think he refers to it as you know uh uh, hundreds of miles of bad road something to that effect it adds more (laughs) we get some interesting views of the colony before it was taken uh, taken over by the aliens we get more background into uh ripley as a character and we also get the wonderful sequence of the remote sentry guns which I think adds so much to the tension of when they barricade themselves and have to hold off the aliens. Those scenes where we just see the ammo counters going down and going down, and we know these things are just letting loose so many rounds, and that we don't see the aliens die. We get occasional flashes of them, but we just know it's like, as one of them, uh, I think it was Hudson, says, man, they're wall-to-wall in there, and it doesn't stop them. I love the tension from those scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the uh something that was it was 
pointed out in one of the videos I watched something that adds to the tension in this movie that I wasn't really aware of, but it's like, man, you know, you, uh, once again, you got to give it to Jim Cameron. The guy does know what he's doing. Um, a lot of the shots of the Marines are just their face. So mm-hmm. they're going in They're you know, what's out there. They're what's around the next corner. They're already nervous. We, as the audience, are nervous. We don't know what's going to be around the next corner. We don't know what's going to happen. What's going to jump out? What's going to happen? But the camera focuses on their faces. So we're seeing their reactions, but not what they're seeing, which is not a typical movie thing to do. And instead, they have those shots um, where we get to see their really super grainy helmet cams. Mm -hmm. And we see their footage of what they're seeing. And that's like the filter. So as the audience, we're like extra, it's like one extra level removed for added extra tension. You know, it's like, it's nothing about it, about this is comfortable. We're up people's noses and watching their freaked out faces. And then when we see finally what's, what's up ahead, it's like grainy and weird. And, oh man, it's just, it's really, honestly, it's, it's brilliant stuff. And uh, if, if I have to pick a favorite, obviously it's, you know, for the whole franchise, obviously it's going to be one of the first two. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's always been like sort of an impossible choice because I feel like after I watch what it's, whatever one I watched last basically. Yeah. And because they scratch different itches, they are both very, you know, they're horror, but the first one is very different type of horror. It's more atmospheric. Uh, it's 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 so unbelievably tense. It's so claustrophobic. It's you know it's so quiet and all the stuff. This movie is much louder and has a huge cast and and you know there are there are really scary scenes, but there's a lot of funny scenes. There's a lot more levity in this in this movie and um, and stuff. I, I I enjoy the characters more in Aliens. Like Bishop is. I love I love Bishop so much as a kid. Like I latched onto him so much, and uh, his voice is so good. Like, I just, I that's like I this mean, awesome freaking lifelong Lance Henriksen fan. Uh, just absolutely cannot express how much the character of Bishop meant to me, and uh, I I don't know why I just love him so much. It's just one you know it's just one of those characters. You know certain latched characters resonate to. like so so much and he's just set up to be the bad guy you're supposed to not trust him because he's an android just and ash was a turned out to be the villain of the first movie ian holmes ash and ripley doesn't trust him at all from the word go from as soon as she knows that he's a you know when he cuts his finger doing the knife trick and uh you know and and then he just constantly just keeps being a good guy and you keep waiting for the other shoe to drop and there is no other shoe he's just great and i love it so much and i i uh, a few years ago, I was able to meet Lance Henriksen at a con that I was doing down in Florida. And, such a nice uh, guy. He's such a nice guy. But with the coolest, the coolest thing was like it was the first day of the con, and I was down there with uh, my very good, very good friend, my publisher uh, Goro. You know him as well, Mr. Derek Rook. Indeed, um, do. And we were down there hanging out, and we were just having breakfast. And uh, look over, and there's Lance Henriksen sitting by himself, like just like annoyed at his phone like an old grandpa <laughs> and so i'm i'm like oh my god it's, it's lance henriksen and he's like oh my god it is wow and i'm like i, I think i want to go say hi and he's like no don't do that and i'm like i don't know i, I kind of want to like when is this ever gonna You're like you have no idea man my entire <laughs> life has been building up to this exact moment and i'm certainly not at the point where i'm gonna say no 
<laughs> so, I'm gonna go say hi. I mean, so, you have this phone. so yeah, you, you yeah, I'm gonna help with this phone. So I mean, but it's like you know, you run the risk. It's it's either or, right? Either yeah. they're gonna be super annoyed that you bothered them, or it's gonna be this great thing. So I'm like, well, you know, I'm Roll literally never gonna be in this like opportunity have this opportunity again. So I went over and I was just like you know, very nice. And just, you know, said, Oh, I didn't want to bother you. Just, you know, we're, we're vendors at the con. I just wanted to say hi. And you know how much Bishop has meant to me my whole life. He's, he's just one of my all time favorite characters. And, uh, and he's like, Oh, Oh my God. He's like, sit down, have coffee. And so like, we just like literally just had coffee with him for like half an hour. And he told stories. He told stories about like where he's going. Uh, he was he was literally driving himself to a movie after finishing the con, and uh, we got to hear stories about you know because he's on he's in Dog Day Afternoon. That was his first like professional job. He's in it for like two seconds at the end, and um, it was it was just a great uh, just so an cool. awesome experience. Just so Hell, really cool. yeah, and, and uh, yeah. So I don't know. That's that's yeah, my. I, I, I have a similar encounter with Lance on that. I'd gone to a horror hound that was doing a big cast reunion for Aliens, and similar to you, uh, we were sitting down and eating, and then I look over to the next table, and then there's basically all of the guys from Aliens that were at the con all eating oh together. Awesome. And so, you know, people were like, and then knowing that I'm a big Alien fan, it's like, go talk to him. It's like I'm not going to bother him while they're eating. So later on in the con, you know, it's a con. We're somewhat inebriated. We're out front, and then Lance Henriksen comes out. And, you know, he's just smoking a cigarette. It's like, okay, now I'll talk to Lance. And then Uh we just start talking and we go on for almost an hour just hanging out in front of this. And it's one of those people are coming up and he's actually saying, no, stop. I'm talking to this guy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm invested in this conversation. (laughs) And the thing is that I love about him, and he said this multiple times in the talk, he refers to us as his tribe. And it's not a put on for him. He legitimately yeah. feels the people that go to these cons that like the stuff he is in. He has a kinship with us and mm. he is appreciative of that. And for that, I'm always appreciative of him. I mean, he, he is no the man. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just like that old New York workman type guy. Who's just there to do the job and not complain. And, you know, he's going to drive himself. He's been working in the business for like, 50 60 years or whatever and like he's just been he's like yeah no no I'll, you know do do you gotta do and it, he had just filmed a movie in some like it wasn't bulgaria but it was some like i don't know eastern european country he's like oh i just did this this one oh you know it was bad and we're like oh oh like what was it he's like oh i'm not gonna tell you <laughs> and he, he he wouldn't tell us he's like it was it was really it was really sad i don't want to be no i don't want to be no I, I came right you here know, from there he's like oh it was, it was really bad he wouldn't tell us what it was so funny <laughs> um <clears throat> so i think we can wrap it on alien so we are over an hour at this point so i think what we'll do is let's save alien three for for half two because that's something to look yeah. forward to um uh, because the the last three after Alien Three are are, are definitely in have diminish, diminishing returns. So, all right, let's do the Octoponder, guys and gals and retroids and all y'all out there. Uh, okay. This week, here's your Octoponder. This so we all know that the so the Xenomorph. I posted this to the group today, like always, like we do. Got some really fun responses. Xenomorph. Uh, it looks different depending on the organism in which it gestates. Now we've seen them burst uh, from the chest of humans, dogs, or oxen, depending on the cut of Alien Three, and uh, even a predator. What I 
would like you guys to do now is to ponder this. Name a fictional species that you'd want to see the resulting alien burst from. Bonus point, bonus points if you can explain the resulting genetic traits that may result. Can literally be anything. No rules at all on this. No limitations. Just have fun. Um, answers when we get back. Stay tuned. Hey, kids. It's time to check out the Dorkening Podcast Network. With over 30 podcasts that encompass everything from horror to video games to comic books and so much more, you're bound to find the shows for your taste. Whether it be Nerds of Unusual Origin, That Strange Show, Retro Red Octopus, Splash Pages, Throwdown Thursday, The Horror Squad, Still Talking With, My God, man, I can't read all of these. So just feel free to play and experiment with the Dorkening Podcast Network. There are over 30 shows chock full of nerdy goodness to sink your ears into. And they're all available on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are broadcast. Are you a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books? Then Epic Tales from the Sewers is a podcast for you. We cover the comic books, video games, movies, cartoons, and anything else turtle-related. We talk about the toys, we talk about the cereal, we talk about all the fun things about turtles that we love so much. So give a listen. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Check out Epic Tales from the Sewers, part of the Epic Airways podcast network give a listen dudes cowabunga is this podcast for you attention this is the lost skeleton of cadavra and you are listening to rancho notorious no wait no that's retro redoptopus hey are you ready to do some bacon it's about that time where we ask you the audience to octo ponder this all right welcome back aboard everyone before we take a break, we ask you guys this week's Octa Ponder This Question. Name any fictional species you'd want to see the resulting alien burst from. Bonus points if you can explain the resulting genetic traits that may result. Guys, I hope you thought up some good ones because I know I did. So let's go, Mr. Nintendo. Why don't we start with you? Sure. Um, so while watching uh, Aliens yesterday, um, I was thinking... What would, uh, what would a alien look like if it bursted out of a, a synthetic life form like Bishop? Hmm. Would it be organic? Would it be mechanic? Would it be both? Synthetic oh. alien? Who knows? <laughs> he, he part bionic, milk. part organic. Not a cyborg. Not a cyborg. Call him a psychotron. He's a psychotron. Yes. Damn. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is, that is good. I mean, even if even if it could never happen, like I think they address that that they're not interested in the synthetics, but it's just a fun exercise to think of like a robotic xenomorph, especially with the way that the androids are in this world. It's like they're very yeah. like they have these clear metal tubes so, and stuff. Yeah, and, looks, yeah. No and even the alien itself, it's you know. It has these biomechanical elements. It's what Geek yeah. told it about. So it's yeah. a silicon-based life form. It's closer to plastic than it is us. So arguably, <laughs> the the robots are more like us than the alien is. Right. So true. Yeah. No, that's super fun to think about. 
Nice one. Uh, Goro, what do you got, man? Well, originally I was leaning towards one, but one of your uh, dedicated listeners uh, kind of uh, swiped me on it. So shout out to Tom Morse Jr., who would also be interested in seeing a xenomorph graboid hybrid, because the idea of a burrowing xenomorph uh, worm is just kind of really compelling to me. So (laughs) I I was initially... Compelling in the oh fuck why sort of way? (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, just basically that. Uh, Especially with the different life stages of the graboid, seeing that man Manifest in Xenomorph land would be yeah. something interesting. That's a hell of a cross-up. Yeah. yeah. But in, in deference to a corporate synergy and artistic synergy, because now we know that Disney owns pretty much everything, uh, I'm actually going to go with uh, a latter James Cameron creation of the Navi. Mostly because these things okay. are gigantic uh, humanoid aliens, so we're going to be resulting in a xenomorph that's much larger than the traditional drones. It's going to be easy, easily 12 feet tall. Uh, the idea of them being able to somehow interface with the other flora and fauna of the planet, that has some intriguing possibilities. And plus, and this is just personally, I just want to see James Cameron return to the Alien franchise, so I think he could direct the hell out of that movie. And then we got a nice. bunch of, you oh, know, yeah. people with spears yeah. taking on xenomorphs. I want to yeah. see that movie. So what I'm hearing is that if uh, if Avatar, you know, 4, 5, and 6 don't don't really do so hot <laughs> at the box office, Avatar 7, he might just say, fuck it, YOLO, and make, <laughs> make Alien cross Avatar. Fuck yeah, it, if anybody who If anybody can pull it off, it's James Cameron. Never <laughs> bet against Jim. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking it Jim would be... In. A little bit lankier, so it's not just yep. taller, but of course it's got longer limbs and it's it's got stripies. Yeah, I can see it. Some some yeah, stripes. Yeah. Also known as stripes. Hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, to the to the layperson. <laughs> um, nice, good one. Eight bit alchemy. What you got, man? Uh, okay. So the first thing that came to mind, we said fictional species. So I, I was like, all right, I want to pull something from a video game. And I was thinking about Final Fantasy creatures. And I thought of the behemoth, uh, from Final Fantasy. For those of you who aren't familiar, he's essentially like a ginormously muscular purple bull, but like crossed with a lion with humongous horns that kind of come up front, you know, like a, like a bull. And it has a mane. And uh, its tail is all covered in like these spines, almost like webbed spines. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, this thing has just for a long time been like a really solid combination of a bunch of cool animal parts. Like this thing just already feels like someone mashed <laughs> it together and was like, fuck yeah, that's like the ultimate animal. That, that thing's the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so if you take an alien and have it impregnate the already coolest fucking thing ever, I can't imagine how cool it would look. I honestly can't picture it, and I would yeah. love to see it. I'd like to see him impregnate the knights of the round, the whole all of them. <laughs> That's fucking stupid. That's not even possible. How would they all share one xenomorph? Uh, well, first they got to combine them like Grant Grant and Slither, and then... No. Possible, I think no, that's... fuck it. I want to see them impregnate fucking Bahamut Zero. Okay, oh, that's okay. the one I like. I want that one. Nice. Good one. Um, so we got, yeah, anyway. we got movies, and we got video games. In true retro Octopus fashion, I'm going to bring I'm bring around to all the stuff. I'm going to do a comic book. There you go. <clears throat> so, Shut up. No, you're not. I, 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 oh, I will, oh, I will not. Oh, my um, God. 
Yeah, so I'm actually going to go, people who listen to the show know I have an affinity for the Triceratops, but I'm going to go with the uh, alien species from the Ninja Turtles, the Triceratons. I fucking mm. knew you were going to pick go. this. I was like, I was thinking about it today, and I thought of a Triceraton, and I'm like, oh my god, Steve's definitely yeah. picking that one. Well, I mean, one of my favorite action <laughs> figures as a kid. I love yeah, that little guy. Absolutely. Oh, and, and it's like, oh my god, like it could actually work! Like, narrative-wise, it just works they're already a spacefaring species it's fucking perfect i feel like the triceratons easily know who the space jockeys are and right like why not the engineers whatever they they apps they'll always be the space jockeys to me by the way i mean come on bt dubs but um yeah i mean no it would be it would no be amazing disrespect. it totally works i kind of want to just write that i wouldn't be able to do anything with it of course but right oh it's God. called fanfiction.net malad and it's existed malad. for many a decade <laughs> just file <laughs> off the serial numbers you'll be fine <laughs> it's right. supposed to be beyond that it's supposed to be published stuff um so that's that's that answer but as far as what it would look like i mean it's it's kind of obvious right you can have fun you have the horns you can like make the crest of the queen kind of go into the frill of the triceratops kind of idea um be super fun so anyway um those are our answers and we have some really great ones from our retroids we're going to start with chris philbrook who says i think the default xenomorph crossover would be a dragon because dragon can you imagine enormous queen size xenomorphs and when they pop out that tongue it shoots out flame or maybe acid then that little freak flies. Oh man. Great answer. Love it. Can't can't uh can't deny that. There uh there is like the the newest Aliens arcade game which is uh, Aliens Armageddon. It's like a on-rails shooter, kind of like House of the Dead or something like that. Mm -hmm. Very fun game and there is an amazing like dragon alien boss that's basically exactly what he's talking about. It's so freaking awesome. Um, that is a really fun arcade game, and I play it whenever I see it. Um, PJ Ray Hall from the Throat on Thursday podcast says, I'd like to see a Xeno Thing crossover. I mean, what would that even look like? What could that look like? Which would be the dominant species? Would it even work? Would the offspring be sterile like a mule? So many questions. Good one, PJ. Uh, Jason Duncan says the Superman crossover event addressed the insanity of a Kryptonian xenomorph. So I, I, mean, I think he's just dropping a factoid. I don't think he actually had a pick. I don't, it doesn't sound like your pick, Jason. Um, <laughs> Chris Hall says the so he actually picked an animal, which I think is great too. Whatever he says, he wants the Kangamorph. <laughs> which is a kangaroo Xeno <laughs> crossover. He said, it would be a badass beast. Enhancing the already powerful leg muscles of the kangaroo mixed with the retractable inner jaws of the Xeno would turn this thing into a missile. <laughs> uh, queen kangamorphs would be able to impregnate people with its tail and have a giant slime pouch to keep the human host till they pop. Come on, Ew. this guy put a lot of freaking creativity he into did. Oh, I'm all set with slime pouch. <clears throat> Jesse Gilbert says, Kreitz, aka the critters from the movie Critters, they're close to the size of a xenomorph egg. Imagine that kind of combination. They could go places the species has never been able to. It would enhance the speed of the Kreitz, would also strengthen the spiny projectiles with a paralytic agent. They'd be like shock troops no one would see coming. Also, can you imagine the Xeno Critter Ball? Good point. 
That's it. Uh, <laughs> Tom Morse Jr., as Goro alluded to, says, I would like to see a Xenomorph crossover with the worms from Tremors burrowing, burrowing underground and attack when they hear a sound. A lot tougher to get rid of because of the acid. James Milliken uh, has like a top five. He says Hydra or Werewolf or Pegasus or Alicorn, which I don't even know what that is, or Borg. So he's really <laughs> Borg really came out of nowhere there, James. I was like, <laughs> I was expecting like, a I don't know, like a basilisk or a, I don't know, some fantasy friend. But you Gromanopodon. <laughs> Gromanopodon from La Skeleton Returns is obviously the right answer. Um, Rob Smale says <laughs> the Chihuahua morph. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm saying the I said deadliest of the hybrids. <laughs> the de- no, the, the most annoying. The Chihuahua no, Chihuahua no morph. Because crossbreeding with one of those furry little canine demons is the only way I can think of to make the xenomorph even more angry and aggressive. So true. <laughs> Got a point. So true. Good one, Get Rob. Yappy. Rick Johnson says Ghidra or a similar kaiju because a a a kaiju sized alien and b we get to watch Godzilla kick its ass. Yep. I mean, the thing is I, they would have they would have to impregnate one of the babies because I they? can't see a face hugger you know getting getting on board a full size <laughs> yes. Ghidra. Right. <laughs> it would be funny if it did though somehow. It would be kind of like, hilarious. Take <laughs> that away. Take the possibility stuff away. Let's just imagine. What Let's across, just put our is, brains away for a while. I know we've been having quite a scientific discussion up till here. No, no, but at yeah, this point in the real. podcast, let's put our brains away. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, a three-headed sure. xenomorph Ghidra with... I mean, that's like that's really awesome. That's all good. Oh, my God. It's like uh, so good. And the internet uh, being what it is, chances are you could search <laughs> practically anything plus xenomorph and somebody's drawn it. You can I know find somebody's found a Godzilla xenomorph. And someone's found porn of it. Yeah. Uh, yes, just gonna uh, say, obviously. You can find it and the porn version. Uh, Phil Conti This video says, has been brought to you by Rule 34. <laughs> <laughs> Rule 34. Smells like peaches. Phil Conti says, my first response is some benign creature like an Ewok or a Porg or a Tribble. But the more I thought about it, what about a superhero like Superman and the Xenomorph? Now, <clears throat> obviously, he did not see the previous Jason Jason's comment, but he said um, he would have it would have his powers too. a Xenomorph. that could fly around with laser eyes and super strength to rip through walls. And Superman would ha- somehow not die by the chest bur- buster, but would be greatly injured and have to fight it. I mean, that's probably what would happen. You're right, Phil. Oh, and then man. he came back and said. He's like, maybe just keep making movies, going through the dominant species of each world, and ending up with a kaiju xenomorph blend. Well, you know, I'm just happy that we kept the gears turning like all Big day time. for you, Phil. Like, I was hoping you were going to keep coming back, but <laughs> thanks for the the two. We'll, um, we'll take it. We loved them. Uh, Colleen says, "Okay, but imagine a xenomorph bursting through the heart of a ring wraith. All that stealth plus ghostly wraith ability, wraith abilities." extra bonus aura of spiritual dread and the xenomorph <laughs> scream imbued with extra magic terror they they come with a horse like is it born with a horse <laughs> oh she doesn't mention a horse uh Ooh. sorry Ooh. Ooh. uh george brennan Wrong-o. says <laughs> george brennan says mogwai self-replicating in the rain okay. fuzzy death machines that mm-hmm. would become apex predators even beyond the regular xenomorphs after they feed past midnight depending on which time zone ha ha 
With the unstable genetic makeup that was the focus of Gremlins 2, the new batch, they could evolve as they go like a bunch of mini doomsdays. <laughs> Dude, I, I absolutely. Love, I, I love that I, doomsday I, reference. Very, very awesome. I thought about that one big time. I was like, Mogwai, Gremlins, mm -hmm. like that cross up would be excellent. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, but this one is my favorite. Doug Rinaldi just wants a woolly mammoth. He calls it a woolly Xeno mammoth. And the Latin, he's added the Latin for us, which Ooh, is Mammothus oh Xenogenius, which oh. is very helpful. Thank you, Doug. Dang. Um, I just am thinking about like a big xenomorph with like tusks. And I, that is the one that I want now. So ooh, ooh, ooh. thank you guys. That was incredibly fun. Um, we always love when you guys come out in droves like that and give us these creative answers. Super fun yeah. stuff. For those of you who still want to participate, you can tell us what you think about this week's Octo Ponder, Octo Ponder This. Whether I can say it or not, you can still comment bleh, bleh, and reach bleh, bleh. us. Uh, you can find the post in our Facebook group, and it's it's a cool place. You can find us on Twitter, aka X, aka whatever the hell they call it this week, at Redoctopus, or you can always email us at Redoctopus at gmail.com. And please, if you like what we're doing, do leave us a review. Do on our rating uh, or rating on our host site. Just search Pinecast Retro Redoctopus. Thank you to all of y'all retroids and you all y'all in the house here tonight for those awesome ponderings. And without further ado, let's get back to the show. All right. So we got four more movies to go through, but I'm really thinking only the next one is going to take any, any amount of time. So Hopefully. let's see. Alien Cubed. <laughs> um, yeah here we go all right so let me do my just real quick i'll do the stats and then hand it off to y'all your buddy your boy mr eight bit alchemy hello alien three came out 1992 oh. directed by david fincher of like saw and fight club fame selected cast this was right at the beginning of his career uh selected cast well Except for like music videos. We got Sigourney Weaver coming back as Ellen Ripley for the third time. This the, the cast in this movie is amazing, I have to say. Charles Dance as Clemens. Charles Dance, aka Tywin Lannister, playing a good guy. What? Right. Come on. Like it's so <laughs> rare to see him. I don't even know of another and movie. Convincingly. And he's awesome. He's so good. Also, just incredible in this movie. Charles S. Dutton. As Dylan Charles S. Dutton is a freaking amazing actor, and it sucks so bad that he just kind of faded away. And I watched every single episode of Rock when it was on, and I freaking love this guy. He's an amazing actor, and he kicks ass in this movie. Also stars Ralph Brown, who's just a, a delightful character actor, English dude. Um, he plays Aaron, aka the guy from Wayne's World too, who just was looking for one thousand brown M Ms to fill a brandy glass, so Ozzy wouldn't go on stage that night. <laughs> yeah, we also man. have we also have Danny Webb as Morris, as mentioned earlier, and in a really fun couple of cameo type appearances, we have our buddy Lance Henriksen as he's credited as Bishop too, but there's some contention to that. We can get into it later. The year is nine is uh twenty one seventy nine. So this happens uh. The same exact year as Aliens happened, 2179. The ship is just briefly, we see the USS Sulaco again, and uh, it has a jettison shuttle, escape pod type shuttle. It's a Type 337 EEV shuttle. Uh, the planet visited basically is the entire movie. It takes place on 
<clears throat> a planet called Fiorina, aka Fury 161. Fury 161 is the more common fan thing that you would you would see or read, but in the movie it it says both. Um it's a barren windswept world orbiting around a binary star system whose location is held secret by the Wayland Yutani Corporation for emergency purposes. Uh, this is basically a giant penal colony um, where these guys are just kind of put away and put to work. And um, it is owned by the company. But uh, yeah, they're kind of just minding their own damn business and uh, shit came to them. So, Ape and Alchemy, tell us about Alien Cubed. Uh, all right. Well, I you know can't talk about Alien Cubed and not uh, address the fact that this is a super divisive movie. Uh, this movie definitely had a not great reputation when it came out, um, but I think that it has its fans and people have kind of come around on it. Um, and it's it's understandably divisive, but uh, you know you're you're starting a movie where you know you, you ended aliens where Ripley has seemingly hope. She has seemingly found a family. She's got this kind of like, you know, light at the end of the tunnel and three just takes it the fuck away immediately. And, um, and, you know, I think that was kind of what a lot of people had a, a major issue with. And I mean, you know, if anyone doesn't know, this movie went through only about a billion rewrites. Um, oh, yeah. There was there were so many fucking scripts for this thing. There was a William Gibson script at first, who wanted to make the movie about this like Union of Progressive People's board uh, that like they would board the Sulaco and get attacked by a face hugger, and then they would bring it back to this big mall complex in space called Anchor Point, and it would just be like another kind of uh, aliens action movie. And Newt would actually be alive with Hicks. And they would be like the main characters and they were like, oh, okay, uh, I don't know. Ripley's just in it as a cameo. And then Eric Red had a script that uh, was just kind of like a, a concept. It wasn't even a fully fledged thing, but they were just go to the Sulaco and find everyone dead and then go to this like biodome space colony where a huge battle would ensue. Like it was just pretty bare bones. Um, David Tuhi wrote a story about a prison planet used for illegal experimentation on the aliens. And, uh, and then it was also not going to feature Ripley at all. And the studio was like, look, Ripley's got to be in this movie. Like she is this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's this really note, uh, noteworthy one from Vincent Ward, um, where he he was a director at the time, but he wrote this movie as they asked him to be a part of it, and he didn't like Tuhi's script, so he was like, okay, I'm going to write this thing, it's going to be super out there, there's going to be a planet of wood, and <laughs> yes, oh, these the wood monks one, yeah. that live on this planet of wood, and they're going to see the star crashing down, and it's actually Ripley crashing to the planet, and that the the um, the arrival of Ripley suggests that there's a, an alien present too, and the monks think that she's like sent to them as some kind of repentance or, or like the temptation of a woman or whatever is like they you know this massive challenge for them or whatever, and. Uh, and and so it's just like this whole kind of way out there plot uh, that people honestly love. They love it a lot. And uh, there's there was you know some real interest in this plot enough that it's um, you know kind of circulated around. Uh, I don't 
I don't remember if this one. I don't think this one they they did anything with. Uh, the original plot William Gibson script has been turned into a comic book and a uh, right. an audio drama, but uh, Vincent Ward's wasn't you know fully realized. I don't think Goro. Do you happen to know if they ever? Yeah, they went on various levels of development with that one, but uh, like you said, it was the Gibson uh, script that really got a lot more fan attention later on i mean obviously gibson mm -hmm. wrote the sprawl trilogy of neuromancer count zero and mona lisa overdrive to johnny mnemonic you know he's the guy who helped basically form cyberpunk so okay, there's yep. a there's been a lot of subsequent interest in his script particularly since in so in the final film we see elements of vincent ward scripts we see elements mm -hmm. of david Toohey's script and you can squinson you'll see elements of the gibson but that one is way way its own beast and one right. of the things that's interesting with all the different versions of it and particularly the ones that do involve ripley don't involve ripley is there was always this lingering question mark of was sigourney weaver going to come back and so we'd have to find a way to potentially write her out of it for example the gibson script she's barely in the film you know she pops mm -hmm. up near the end but there was again they had to pivot whether or not sigourney was going to be involved right Right. So, you know, it's like it was kind of like this back and forth of, you know, is Ripley going to be prime, predominantly featured or just going to be relegated to the sides? And honestly, it seemed like a number of them were. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, uh, Tuhi's script wasn't going to have her at all, but then they insisted she had to be in it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, there's there's so much after Ward's script. Uh, they kind of came back around to Walter Hill and David Giller, and they took a lot of concepts, kind of like what we were saying about Alien, you know, the first movie, and they just sort of picked stuff from different scripts and they took what worked. They're like, okay, we have a not a prison planet, but a prison ship. And, you know, we have this group of guys that are not monks, but they're prisoners. So they're, they are celibate. They can't, you know, have any kind of female con contact. So Ripley coming yeah, in is going to be like this major temptation. Right. Yeah. They found religion. So it's like got right. echoes of that. And it's really, you know, just kind of pulling stuff together in a way that's I mean, at the time, I'm sure it felt, you know, awful, but really on this side of it turned out quite, quite well, I think. I think really honestly made a hell of a script uh, for this movie, despite everything miraculously <laughs> rising from the ashes here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so actually Sigourney Weaver had in her contract, she had a clause that said um, the final draft of whatever script it is, um, should be gone over and written by Hill and Giller one last time, like a pass through, believing that they were the only writers besides James Cameron who could effectively write the character of Ripley. Mm -hmm. um, she felt like her characterizations and her motivations and the things that mattered to her and all this other stuff were being mis kind of attributed and misportrayed by other scripts. And so I don't know. She just had this kind of thing. Like she's like, no, I Ripley needs to be Ripley, which is kind of amazing that she cared she cared so much about this character and i mean it, it means so much that you know it's it's got to feel like her i mean that's that's almost the kind of thing that like mm -hmm. we have actors getting fired for now is like having too much interest in how a character is portrayed it's like just do what you know the showrunners want um in this case it's like i care about ripley i gotta make sure you guys do right by her it's like wow that's really cool yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know she had, all... I know she had oh, three things she wanted in the movie. She's like, I'm not signing on the dotted line unless I get the three things, you know, you guys know what they are. What was that? 
bald. Uh, so she want no, she wanted to die. <laughs> she said no guns, and she wanted to have sex with an alien. <laughs> so she got two. So she got two out of three. Yeah, so I was depending gonna say, upon your view of uh, face huggers, and uh, <laughs> I was gonna say there are no guns on this maximum security she prison. Had, she no, she not. had sex with Charles Dance though, which is you know better. I would I would she sure bad, did you know? definitely definitely better. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so talking about that character connection, I think is one of the coolest parts of this movie is her relationship with Clemens. Mm. They both mm -hmm. find each other out of just necessity. He's the doctor. She's injured the end. And then she really insists, you know, she gets this. She's like, we need to inspect the ship and we got to inspect, uh, you know, Newt's body. And she's being like really weird about it. She won't say why. And, and Clemens is like, what, what, you know, what is this? What, what do you want me to do an autopsy on this dead girl? And, uh, and so all that other stuff is just necessity. And then as it goes, it's like they kind of start bonding and sharing their trauma and sharing like what has happened to them. And you see Ripley opening up in a really like mature way with someone else who's also sharing a lot of emotional baggage or gets to that point mm -hmm. and they just they bond like really well and it's honestly such an awesome convincing connection between two characters that when when they do sleep together and they have sex it's like it's not graphic at all it's literally like they wake up and they're in the same bed it's like it's not mm -hmm. about that it didn't do it didn't do that particular trope of horror it did do the other half of that uh but <laughs> we just know. got the, po the post coitus, we didn't <laughs> yeah, have right. the coitus <laughs> so do you want cake or death um just death please yeah, skip the cake entirely. Just kill me. Why is, why is well, and I like dead? it because there there is an element of the of I guess for lack of because a he term, dies after they have sex. Yeah. That's why postcoitus is death because it's a horror movie. Yep. Right. He he suffers the way the girls usually suffer. Right. He gets the Indeed. the post bang right. kill. Yeah. And there there is an element of maturity between the two of them. Yes. Which yeah. I I appreciate yeah. that. I like their dynamic. I like their chemistry and you can realistically believe one you know it's it serves multiple things one it's the distraction so he stops asking questions two yep. it's just at this point stress relief because she's had a really stressful couple of yeah. months yeah. <laughs> subjectively yeah. from her time yeah and yeah and it's it just but it feels like something that could actually happen it doesn't feel like something that you know was mandated this mm -hmm. feels like it worked yeah. Yeah, and it of, feels which of course believable. makes the immediate death of Clemens hits that much harder. Yeah, but when keeping with the aliens thing of, oh, you think these are the people that are going to live? Surprise! Mm -hmm. Nobody right. gets out of this alive. Right, yep. he's the cane. He's essentially the cane of the movie. They they pull the rug out from under us. We're not expecting it, but I I think it I think it's also worth mentioning that this is the type of sex that isn't really shown that much in movies where you know it's like it's it's a, it's okay to be casual. Like it's it's mm. okay for her as well. Like mm -hmm. it's a hundred percent non romantic. It's fine. Like they just yeah they just I mean, needed it. They, and yeah, they, 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 and they're they bonded and they're like yeah it's great. Yeah, it. so it's like it. yeah, which was curiously fine, enough something that was in the original Alien script uh, as originally conceived. The kind of sexual mores were supposed to be like looser in the future, okay. and there was to be a scene where. Um, Ripley would basically proposition Dallas and basically was positioned as essentially stress relief. It's mm. like, hey, do you want to you want to burn off some stress? Let's go have sex. Mm. Yep. 
Right. Kind of. Oh, yeah. Actually, I was going to say kind of like that scene in Prometheus. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, their their relationship's fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not lost on me uh, that you dodged my question in the (laughs) nicest of ways. Um, (laughs) But I mean, yeah, they're they're so excellent. And uh, Steve and I were talking about this a little earlier today. It does feel like movies often have a hard time juggling a huge cast of characters and the prison has a ton of inmates and a ton of people that are in there and the movie does an excellent job of juggling these different characters in a way that makes them memorable even if you haven't gotten to see a lot of them you have a pretty good feeling of all the members of the prison at any given time like you kind of like you they're very characterized in, in even the shortest of little scenes, you get a good feel for them. Yeah, they a have bunch, a good a joke. Handful, a handful, you know, they, yeah, yeah they, they have like a good joke or a good line or a good moment or whatever. And it's like, wow, these are characters that like don't actually matter really at all. Um, <laughs> but they're, you know, still still invested by the by the end where everyone's working together to, to get this whole thing organized, get the alien in the lead smelter. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah hell yeah. Like this is fucking coming together. This is awesome. Yep. And especially depending yeah, on which yeah. version of the film that you watch, because certainly the assembly cut, which we'll get into, I have no doubt, uh, allows for a lot more of those great character moments, particularly uh, around Paul McGann's performance as Gallic, the completely yes. insane one. Yeah. But yep. even, you know, the smaller moments like the ever reliable Pete Postlethwaite. Who yep. he just has he has one great moment of it when he's explaining the explosive substance and he's like yeah I saw it drop into a into a bunker once great stuff <laughs> it's just, and that's something that um, David Fincher doesn't always get credit for he is for all of his visual spectacle and you know the the style that he brings to so many of his movies. He also is really good at getting very, very solid performances out of his actors. Mm -hmm. And you sense that he creates a set where they feel comfortable enough to have those moments. And he's Mm -hmm. he even at this early in his career, he knew how to capture them and how to highlight people that weren't going to be on screen all that much, but Mm -hmm. still utilized and shown with maximum effectiveness. Again, depending upon the version that you see. Right. Right. And like I, I was, you know, to expand on that and to expand on what Eight Bit just said, um, like I think that one of the ways that he goes about um, sort of highlighting some of the background characters is something that we don't see too much, which is they instead of pairing off side characters together that don't ever get to really interact with the main character. Like for instance, take Vasquez and Duke in Aliens, right? Like they're the buddies. They don't really do anything with Ripley. They're in the same room as Ripley, but they are they are their own dynamic. Mm. That's a common thing. That's a common thing to do. If you have a large cast, you pair off different characters into smaller groups. And the main character might have a decent relationship with, you know, two, three characters or something like that. But usually it sort of ends there. But Alien 3 does a very good job and gets zero credit for having Ripley really have moments with a ton of characters. Obviously, it's it's mainly Charles Dance first. Then it turns into her and Charles S. Dutton. And those are the obvious ones. They could have stopped it there. But then she also starts to have smaller moments 
Uh, she has moments with um, Ralph Brown, mm-hmm. uh, who plays Aaron, and he's the one that goes into the Salako's shuttle and helps her with the CAT scan. It's she didn't previously do a whole lot with him. There was oh they had one scene earlier when they were because he's 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 like the assistant warden guy, so he's like you know not one of the prisoners. So she did have like that earlier scene. And then she gets the cat scan scene, and then he's with her at the end. So you have a little also relationship there, and they flushed him out. If you take away all the scenes with Ripley, Aaron is nothing. Aaron yeah. is just a, a a forgettable paper thin. Nobody you wouldn't think twice about, but that that helps him feel like a, a character. There's also the character that Danny Webb plays, Morse, who's the one who survives. You know, he doesn't have that many scenes with Ripley. He gets some he gets some character moments throughout the film for sure. But towards the end, he has a couple with Ripley, and then he is with her at the end, at the tail tail end. So they keep like giving moments that you would expect to go yep. to her previous friend, like. It's her and Charles dance. Then it becomes she gets saved from the uh, the rapist in like the best scene in the freaking movie when Charles S. Dutton swings <laughs> One in. One of those characters yeah. played by uh, Holt McCallany, who would of course Fincher would use time and time again. Moving on, so it's fun to see him show up in a very early age. It's, it's funny. Really the only movie that that guy that I think of with that guy is Creepshow Two. Well, he was also in uh, Fight Club. He was one of the guys in that. Okay. 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 And then he got brought back in. Um, Oh, Mindhunters, the show that oh, okay. uh, Fincher worked on with Netflix with a big, okay. big role in that. Cool. I didn't realize Fincher was affiliated with Mindhunters. Yeah, I I, I, was, I've wanted was, to watch that, but yeah, I, I just didn't realize that. Yeah, he was one of the main kind of creative driving forces behind it. And <gasps> unfortunately, it kind of died. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I did hear it was great, though. It was great. Yeah, I've heard I've heard it was great. But anyway, that, I think that's just all I need to say on that. But, you know, I, th- I think that that's rare that you have a, a main character who gets to go through the cast one by one and create so many relationships of different size. Uh, I love that about this movie. In fact, I really enjoy this movie a lot. Yes. It's, it's the weakest of the first three. Absolutely. Yeah. But you know what though? I think the acting in it is, yeah. I think the acting in it is far better than an aliens yeah. far better. And it's a, it's a film that's, you know, it obviously, was very divisive at the time it was released and was kind of held as a not great film. But at least in my own lifetime, I've seen the opinion of it change. Because when it came out on DVD in the original Alien Quadrilogy, they, of course, released the assembly cut, which was not a director's cut because Fincher wants nothing to do with Alien 3 because it was a terrible, terrible experience for him. But people were able to find the excised footage Mm-hmm. reassemble it to more resemble what th- their interpretation of his intentions were. And the assembly cut is leaps and bounds better than the theatrical cut, in my opinion. We get much more of those uh, more intimate character moments. We get a lot more expanded out action sequences, including another one that was just completely cut out, where they actually managed to capture the alien until Golic let it free, because he's a psycho. Yeah, (laughs) All of these little things that that contributed to being, in my opinion, a great film. Which anybody who comes down on Alien 3, I say watch the assembly cut because it's such, such, such a strong, stronger film. It is. It is. And uh, I, th- the thing that, that you know, because, you know, if, you, if, if you're going to say this movie's a mess, I'm not going to argue with you. If you're going to say it's boring, that drives me crazy. 
Yeah. I hate when people yeah, say man. movies are boring when they're just taking their damn time. Mm-hmm. There's yep. there's such a thing as a slow movie. Like there's pacing. There are different types of pacing. It's like certain people need it to be only fast. And those people also tend to complain about Michael Bay movies. So it's like, what do you want? Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 in my opinion a good example of a very slow sci-fi. I like slow boring sci-fi sometimes. Sure. I, you know, hard sci-fi. I don't think, is, yeah, I don't think it's like, boring. You know, it's, it's like the it's not movie boring to me at is. All. It's like, are you watching the movie? You know, are you are you getting the actors? Mm-hmm. Are you getting their performances? The nuance of what they're saying, like the situation. You know, it's like, yeah, there's not bang bang shoot shoot, but like yeah. that doesn't mean it's boring. Like it's oh, yeah. it's incredibly interesting. It's just, it's just more just... story oriented than it is action. Right. Yeah. right. So it's like if it you're in it for action, it's not all about yeah, you're, that you're, you're it's not mostly about that but if yeah. you're in it for you know a movie watching experience like sit down shut up watch this yeah. movie like it will entertain you it's yeah. it's really honestly very good so i yeah. want to hear what joe thinks i know joe you just finished watching this today it's, yeah i mean i yeah i mean like you said i mean it's the had you ever seen this before three, but have i yeah had you ever seen this third oh, one other besides today um yeah i think so yeah i think i have on VHS, maybe years ago. Um, okay, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, I have no complaints about it. Um, yeah, it's not as scary as the other two. Um, very slow paced. Um, I don't know. I mean, nothing much to add to it. You guys pretty much covered everything. It's it's a perfectly fine movie. Yeah, I mean, um, I I think that like it brings the series from a very action, you know, like place that we were just at, and you know, you're like, okay, well, where is the series going to go? Well, it brings it back to Alien One vibes, but with a, a kind of camaraderie and big cast that you have in the second one, like it sort of brings back the the energy that I love most about the series, um, but in a pretty radically different kind of setting and the yep. types of people that are there mm-hmm. and you know it's like lady you don't want to know me you know it's like i'm a murderer <laughs> and rapist of women and, well, and you uh, know it's uh, like uh, what a line you know, been yeah been picking up on that and also what steve had mentioned before man charles s dutton in this movie is Fuck just yeah, so dude. good and i oh, love man. how it, it feeds into the religious themes of this movie yeah. they they were speak uh, they refer to it as an apocalyptic strain of christianity and <laughs> his ability to deliver those speeches yeah. and oh, whether no it's kidding. the tenderness when they're um when they're cre- uh, cremating hicks and newt or later on when he's giving the you know i'm not gonna or we're gonna die but we're gonna die doing something Yep. Yeah, right. He has such a command and such a wonderful presence in this movie. Yep. Exactly. And then his death is uh, just so good. So badass. And, you know, yeah. we haven't really mentioned the alien itself, but this is the only one where the alien doesn't come out of a human. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Uh, and so in the theatrical version, it comes out of a Rottweiler. And in the assembly cut, it comes out of an ox. They have lice ridden ox, oxen that are just outside and. That's what they are eating. And uh, one of them drops dead for no, just no reason. And uh, turns out there's a, there's a chocolatey surprise inside. Um, or maybe it's, maybe it's acidy, 
acidy yeah. surprise. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody wants to get at that gooey don't center. That chocolate. It melts in your mouth and the rest of you. <laughs> it, <laughs> melts. it melts on your mouth. On your <laughs> it melts, it melts in your mouth. Um, and uh, so it's a very different looking creature. It's it's um sleeker, it doesn't have the spikes on the back, um, and it's smaller. Uh, it's brown. I think it's really cool looking. Like I love, I remember as a yeah. kid thinking every, I mean, it's, it's not on screen very much, but like when it is, I remember as a kid, I just adored the way it looked and that the way that the head is. And I mean, my favorite look for any of the aliens is in the movie aliens that the way that they have like my favorite shot ever. I think of any alien thing ever is in aliens when they go in the ceiling Mm-hmm. And you just see them like the way that those ones look with the, it's like a small black shiny part in the front. And then the rest of it's kind of like all grooves and stuff. I don't know. They yeah. look like, look, look that scene up, look up aliens ceiling and you'll find it instantly. That's my fave, but I don't know. Really cool. And you know, it's funny seeing it. I just watched it again. I watched the assembly cut. I have the quadrilogy. That's like, I never repurchased repur- uh, it. I had still have the DVD quadrilogy. And um, the, I was like, oh, the the alien is is CG so much in this. Like, I didn't remember that. And uh, it's not. It's nope. all it's all a puppet. Yep. It's, it it, it, yeah. it looks like bad CG because it does the way that they composited it. So yes. the, it, yeah. but it was a practical rod puppet that they made. But in order to put it into the existing footage, they had to use a compositing technique yeah. that wasn't quite there. So it mm-hmm. looks like bad CG, but it's, yep. it's again, there is so one CG shot in this entire film. And that's when the alien's head is cracking due yep. to the temperature change. Mm-hmm. But oh. that's it. The, it's, the that was CG? Yeah. Wow. I definitely thought that was practical. That's yeah. Cool. When you see, when you see the cracks go through its dome, yeah. that's a, C, yeah. that's a CG yeah. shot. Okay. Yep. And I had I I had read that they were also there's some CG of like the spaceship stuff. Oh um, yeah yeah yeah. But that's that it. Stuff. That's it. None of the alien, just that cracked shot. But oh my god, this you know this has my favorite ending of any alien movie by far, and it also has my favorite alien death. Uh, I mean, blowing them out the airlock twice, guys. I mean, you know, it's fun, but like this is right. so different. How do you do it? And you're like so positive. They're going to drown it in molten lead. That has to work. And it doesn't. Nope. It just keeps coming. <laughs> yeah. It's not. And there was criticism it's just hot as it. shit. Yeah. And there was, there was criticism against the, the climax that it was a little too Terminator 2 because, you know, yeah. that had just come out and that had ended in, a, you know, Steelworks and this was kind of similar. Yeah. But yep. the, the not moving past the death of the alien, the death of Ripley. And mm-hmm. her sacrifice and the oh, whole full circle it. quality yeah. of it. And there's a line in this movie that it, it hits me every time when she's looking for the alien in the basement and she refers to it as. And she says, you know, you've been in my life so long, I can't remember anything else. Yep. And yep. it's, of course, she would uh, make that final sacrifice. And honestly, that's the one thing that I like more in the theatrical cut versus the assembly. Because in the theatrical cut, the queen that's inside of Ripley actually bursts out. And she grabs it and mm-hmm. carries it all, as she's falling all the way down. Which is, she almost cradles its head. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's either A, it's, you, could be, you could be viewed as she is kind of maternal against it. You know, it's out of her. It's a baby. Or B, mm-hmm. till the very end, she will grapple with this thing. 
and make sure it dies even yep. if she herself is dying and it's such mm -hmm. a badass moment yeah and that line of hers you know hits both ways because when she did the first alien that was one of her very first performances she was a right. young unproven actress in the subsequent years she became a superstar and not only working in you know genre realms you know she was she was in working girl you know she she became sigourney weaver and she's front and center in the marketing for this film. It was marketed on Sigourney Weaver and her shaved head. But that line, it's reflected back on her own career. She started mm -hmm. her career with Alien, and here she is coming full to, uh, full circle. And in theory, you know, obviously things would change, closing the book on this chapter of her life and her career mm -hmm. and the character of Ripley. Yep. And, you know, she, she made waves as uh, as an actress too because like the first movie she was you said you know she was nobody she made like 30 grand for that first movie she made a million dollars for aliens one and that was she was the first actress to ever be paid a million dollars and then in alien three she made like seven or something yeah. so big difference you know obviously from 30 grand um but damn like she was she really blaze some trails for sure yeah. totally um so I'll, i we can move on uh alien three um i also love the, the palette i have to say it's oh brown. yeah that muddy brown it's all, it's all brown it's all so pure. brown rust so you know, different looking love it yeah. um but yeah i i think i think it's a great movie and i it was the first one i saw in the theater i didn't get to see aliens in the theater i saw this one i was excited for it because by that point I, I had watched the other ones multiple times on on video and stuff and um i remember seeing it with my dad and it was like a really a really fun experience and i just really i don't know at that time it wasn't that you didn't have the hype machine you didn't have the instant everybody's bitching about it thing you know you're just had your own opinion and like the people you were with yeah and i can so I saw it and I was like, I loved it. I don't know. I uh, <laughs> years later went by before I realized people hated it. Um, but I'm glad people have come around a little bit. Very cool. I think it deserves it. Yeah. Um, Alien Resurrection, 1997, um, directed by Jean-Pierre Junet. Selected cast, a fun cast in this movie. Um, Sigourney Weaver is Ellen Ripley somehow back. What question mark? What the heck? Winona Ryder as Call, Ron Perlman as Johnner. Just the word, just the name John with an ER at the end. His name is Johnner. Johnner. You would be forgiven if you had no idea what any of the characters were called in this, except maybe Winona Ryder. Uh, Brad Dourif is in this movie as Dr. Gettyman, and he's Brad Dourif, so he's creepy. I mean, but he's kind of extra creepy because I think he wants to fuck the xenomorph in this. He oh, does totally a lot. Does. Oh, yeah. And uh, oh, good. he does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael Wincott from The Crow. I love this dude as Captain Elgin. What a weird the, the names in this are terrible. Blame and Joss Whedon. uh, yeah, blame Joss Whedon for writing the script. Uh, Gary Dorden from all 15 seasons of CSI as Christy. Um, Year this movie is set. This is actually the farthest out. This is the year twenty three eighty one. So it's a couple hundred years in the future. Yeah. Um, ship is the USM Auriga. Registration number doesn't matter. I won't even read it. <laughs> Why did I write that down? Was a <laughs> top secret, <laughs> top secret scientist scientific research ship 
in service with the United Mil- United Systems Military. It's the first time we've heard that term. Also, uh, there's the ship the ship of the uh, uh, Michael Wincott ship. There are these they're like these mercs that just do bad stuff for money. Uh, smugglers. That ship's, that, smugglers. Space yeah. pirates. Space pirates, sure. Yep. That, that ship's called the Betty. And uh, they don't visit any planets. The whole thing takes place on the Auriga. And uh, it uses some elements from one of the scripts that 8-Bit mentioned for Alien 3, which is that they were going to be doing a whole bunch of experimentation. There was that whole idea that the humans had really been like fucking with the genetics and trying different stuff and test tubes and all these different things and cloning. And anyway, they use that in this. Um, this movie, uh, uh, it's there's fun to be had. I mean, it's real cheesy. It's it like the comedy sort of doesn't work at all. It, it uh, but there's some fun moments. Uh, like there's a there's a great scene with you know because this is clone Ripley. Now this is clone Ripley number eight. And we find out that the, uh, the United States uh, military or United systems, military, whatever the fuck they they've been trying to clone her for quite a while. And it's not right away, but you eventually find out that it's not really because they give a shit about Ellen Ripley, but it's because that she had uh, the queen inside her and her blood was taken in alien three when she was um, whatever that place was called. The, uh, Fury when she was on yeah, uh, Fury, Fury one six one, and uh, and they had you know taken her vitals and taken samples and whatever, which makes sense, you know. Sure, I'm sure Charles Dance did that in between his dancing, um, <laughs> and and so like they they just want the queen. That's all they care about, and it turns out that they've they've been successful. Uh, but it took a few tries. So she's number eight. And there's a scene later in the movie where she finds a room with all the failed experiments, which is just an amazing scene. I love that scene. Um, although it is really funny because she finds one that's alive and she's played, she, you know, played by Sigourney Weaver, but her body's all messed up and she's all gross and her arms that like behind her fucking head. scene, man. Right. Oh, yeah, so, here, so here's the thing that bugs me the most about that scene. I love that scene. It's great. But so she finds number seven, who is you know, the, the most perfect up till that point, but she's still gross and messed up. And number seven sees number eight and she starts saying, kill me, which is really fun because that's a recurring theme. That is, you know, that was uh, the cut scene in Alien One with Dallas when, when she finds him in that in that deleted scene that's in the director's cut. Um, and that's what he says to her. He says, kill me. And then the lady and aliens that they find glued to the wall, she says, kill me, kill me. So it's kind of a fun thing that, uh, you know, comes back around again. And, um, and, uh, what does, what does Sigourney Weaver reach for, for a quick and painless death, a fucking (laughs) flamethrower. Like what? Like this dude, will take the longest time for, for me you, to this die. This will be the most hurting that I can yep, give right. you. Maximum misery Burn as you to go. death. <laughs> what the fuck, Ellen? Like you, you jerk. But anyway, that's her, that's her impulse, man. When in doubt, burn it with fire. <laughs> Kill yep. it with fire. I know yep. it's like it all comes from her. But I just think that that's the one thing maybe she shouldn't have killed with fire. But anyway. <laughs> um, Anyway, and the end sequence, I, I love. I love the whole thing. There's a new creature in this. It's part human. It's, you know, comes out of the alien queen that they got out of her. So what they tell you is that she got some genetic 
powers uh stuff from the alien that was inside her because when they cloned her they were both together so you have yep. like a, a scaled down version of the jeff goldblum fly scenario and <laughs> uh she has uh some acidy blood it's not acid acid it's acidy um just a little acid not it's a diet cola of acid not quite it's like it's enough. like it's like warheads you know it's like sour it's, it's you know like, like if you yeah. if you put it on your tongue you'd be like ooh, that's very acidic like mm, mm, that's a tangy blood and she's clearly weird and she can sense them and she's kind of extra strong and she kind of manhandles Ron Perlman a little bit and uh, or shows anyway, him a big time in B-ball. Yep. <laughs> and she made the shot legitimately. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. made that shot. That, what a boss. Alien oh, Queen <laughs> so made her cool. really good at basketball. Um, <laughs> but the Back Alien Queen mind. got something from Ripley as well, which is that now she can give birth to live young, live offspring, which is something that's new. So we get a totally new type of alien. We get the newborn alien. And it is weird looking, but I love it. I do. It's so different. It's so weird. I never want to see it again. I, you know, in another thing, but I no. love that it existed once. And I think it's creepy and gross and scary and you don't know what it's going to do it's innocent though it has like these emote these emotive eyes and it doesn't have the inner mouth it has a tongue and um and the See, way that she circle. kills you, it you were disappointed that the alien didn't have eyes from space balls and now you finally got an alien with eyes yeah i know i did yeah. I, I well at least i like it at least i enjoy <laughs> it you, you know i'm not a hip <laughs> yeah man um and uh the way that she kills it is brutal af oh my yep. god I mean, she makes this like little tiny acid hole in the window with her her sour her warhead blood, and uh, and then it like <laughs> the thing's near it, so it kind of sucks it against the window, and that shot of like just the fleshy part like getting sucked out into space, <laughs> it's just Blech. this like little fleshy bit, and then it breaks open and starts getting sucked out through this little pinhole in its skull. Oh my god! Until its entire body goes through it, B the brutal. That is, <laughs> yeah. And if I recall Jesus. correctly, that was actually one of the scripted deaths uh, that obviously wasn't used for the character of Lambert from the first Alien. That that Ooh, was how she was really? going to go out. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. they got to I didn't know that. that idea. That's yep. great. I anyway. So those are basically the two parts I like. <laughs> it's 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 fun if you want to put your brain away and be like, this is a fun dumb movie. But that's not what I want from Alien. Um. Anyway, right. that that's all I have to say about Alien Resurrection. What do you what do you guys have to say? Anything? I'll say real quick. Uh, one of the things I do appreciate about it is again, it's following the tradition of each one is different, and each one is handed True. over to the director to kind of do their own thing. Obviously, Fincher got a lot of pushback when he tried to do his own thing, but this one they let Jean Pierre Junet do what he did, and he yeah. did it. And mm -hmm. one of the things I've grown to appreciate over the years is the wide variety of world sci fi. That we have that if as you go around the world and you look at how different cultures approach sci-fi, there are wildly different approaches to it. And one of the things you find in a lot of French science fiction, and that I certainly was exposed to from reading uh, Heavy Metal, which was released in there as Metal Erlon, is that kind of really weird out there sci-fi. You know, Luc Besson mm -hmm. did it in uh, in Fifth Element. Jean-Pierre yes. Junet made the most Euro-French science fiction film in the form of Alien Resurrection. It is just bug nuts out there. <laughs> and it's uh, I can appreciate it for, for going there. I can appreciate yeah. it for being this weird little movie that nevertheless had a whole hell of a lot of money thrown at it, a huge uh, marketing push and everything. 
And it's just this odd little film. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not all the pieces line together great, but it ha- does have these moments. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Sigourney Weaver is obviously having a blast playing yeah. a version of Ripley who at this time is the monster, is yes. never really afraid, is just as co- uh, competent at killing as the alien from which she, that she spawned. Right. And Ron Perlman, always a delight. Winona Ryder, just great in this film. There's a lot of fun to be found there in this is. movie. There is. It is yeah. like my fourth favorite of the franchise, but it's still a solid good time. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I agree. I think there's some some good stuff. And uh, you know, I, I just I just think that um the 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 pseudoscience bit that gets me the most that I just I just cannot get over is is like the door like this you know there's a there's sort of a rite of passage in sci-fi <laughs> i was talking to a bit about this sort of yeah. a rite of passage in sci-fi if you're going to write a sci-fi universe one of the things you got to figure out is okay but how does your how do your doors work how the do your breath. futuristic locked doors work <laughs> show me a door tech like in every sci-fi it's like a different thing and it, they, they work differently you know and it's a big thing. It's a big thing you got to come up with to be different. It's one of those things. You can't just copy Star Trek. You got to do something else. So they're like, oh, well, you have to breathe heavy on the, on the sensor. Which it's is such a dumb idea. But as somebody who works with technology, I could actually see like that something like that happening. Because somebody in a boardroom decided, <clears throat> this is what we're going to do. And then you had a bunch of engineers saying, that's stupid. We're not going to do that. And it's like, no, no, no. This is what we were going to do. Make it work. And you notice the doors <laughs> half the time don't work properly. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then Winona Ryder hacks it by just... She has various little perfume spritzers, and yep. she's like, she's like, psh, psh, psh. Oh, I don't no, want to know how she got a, uh, a sample of flavor. Dan Hedaya's breath. Right. <laughs> how the fuck do you like collect a breath in a sense that you're like, ah, it's now sprayable? It's like, oh, hello, excuse <laughs> no, me, can no. you just like breathe a lot for a minute? I just, I gotta do this. <laughs> I don't one even know thing. if that's what that really is. Weird. Part of me wonders like, if she's is like, it Ooh, saliva? cucumber is she melon, collecting <laughs> saliva. Oh, oh so she just put together a composite fruit. of whiskey and yeah. uh, and uh, uh, spaghetti, and that is the essence of Dan Medea. <laughs> right. <laughs> this thing doesn't even have a DNA scanner in it. It's just like mm, whiskey and cigars and Prager. Okay, perfect. Got it. Got, Got it. him. <laughs> That's his flavor right, profile. So, uh, Goro, you're running out of time. Uh, sure. We can get through Prometheus and Alien Covenant real quick if you want to weigh in or if you yeah, want yeah. to leave. I'll you want to try that. Okay. So, Prometheus 2012, directed by Ridley Scott. He's back, you guys. Great oh, my Scott. God. And he's he's going he's gonna to not only do another Alien movie, but it's going to be all about space jockeys. It's going to be the best thing ever, right? Ever. Uh, so selected cast, Numi Rapace as Elizabeth Shaw, who I actually really like in this movie. Also got yeah. Michael Fassbender, who's always excellent. He plays David. Um, also, I I don't know if I know we haven't said it in this episode, but there's this weird thing with the androids. They're all named in alphabetical order as they yes. appear in the series. So the first one's Ash A, <clears throat> then Bishop B, and then Call C, and then now we have David. And for some reason, they break it on the next one and they give us Walter. I like, yeah, they kind of messed it up, but you it couldn't be could be Ernest or something. Like it doesn't matter what his name is. Edward, Edward, it was right there. Edward, perfect. Um, Charlie's Theron as Vickers, Idris Elba as Captain Yannick, and Guy Pierce in the worst old age makeup of all time ever as Mister <laughs> Peter Wayland. I'll push back against that. We got because we do have Dan Aykroyd from uh, Nothing But Trouble. 
<laughs> but that's, his penis knows. I feel like that's style. Though. <laughs> I, I, that's intentional. This was like trying to be good. I don't know. Uh, the year that this is set is 2093. So this is actually the earliest of all the movies. Watching them chronologically, you got to watch Prometheus first. <clears throat> the ship is the U.S. CSS Prometheus. It was a, a Heliades class. Uh, I don't know how to say that word. Heliades class space. It's an exploration vehicle. That's all we need. The uh, planet visited is is in the LV system, but this is 223. Another one of the three moons of that good old gas giant. Kalpamos. Kalpamos. I hate saying it. Um, wow. Uh, this movie did not scratch the itch that everybody thought it was going to. Mm. However, um, I still dig it. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of like an alien apologist. I kind of like them all anyway, even the bad ones. And like, Same. I find, I find stuff to like, like it's, it's fine. I don't know. Like, but you know, as much as I truly can throw on Prometheus and have a good time, um, it's obviously not what we should have gotten and, um, and stuff, but you know, there's a cool cast. I, I really, I really dig learning about the, the, we learned that the space jockeys are actually this race of people that are in this movie referred to as engineers. Of course, that's just our term for them. We don't know what they're really called. And uh, apparently they are, uh, the, the, they're why we exist. They seed planets and this, uh, drink stuff and it <laughs> dissolves them and they i don't know the thing with this movie DNA is bomb. No, like nothing is explained at all this is lost this nothing is seven is seasons of lost all. like in a two-hour movie where they they like they make interesting questions at first and 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 then they just keep raising questions and you never get enough answers and you're, you're at this you know answer deficit and you know there's just you end up with like not knowing what the fuck you just watched. And um, I still like it. It's cool. Uh, yeah. There are some fun creatures in this besides the, uh, besides the engineers. Um, we, we do get to see the engineers in their spacesuits, which is the, you know, the basic implication of what we saw ostensibly in the space jockey scene in the first alien. Although it looks a little bit different. Um, size seems a little bit off, but um, it looks I the 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 look of this of the engineers in their suit with their mask um in this movie I mean I I ran out and bought the figure instantly um it, it's amazing I love the way they look in this I just I wish we saw more of them um also you get uh, a little bit of a you get a new life cycle because we don't have xenomorphs in this but there are alien things mm -hmm. um so does anybody right, want to jump people, jump yeah. in and uh take the helm for Prometheus from there yeah, I mean, what you said about the whole asks more questions than it answers. I mean, Lost is obviously the most direct comparison because this was co-written by David, Damon Lindelof, who yeah, wrote right, Lost. Right. And that's, that. that seems to be his thing, where he poses a lot of questions, but he's not terribly interested in resolving them, which yep. I, I, I can never really uh, understand that. I, I believe that is just cock-teasing the audience. Mm -hmm. And event the problem Big is time. when we when people see what you're doing, then you realize how shallow it can be. 
But mm-hmm. and this is unfortunate because Prometheus has a lot of very interesting ideas. The yes. the notion of z- uh, xenogenesis, these ancient entities that are responsible for humanity. I mean, that's been played out in so many different contexts. But one of the ones that immediately comes to mind is, of course, H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness, which is if we could hold one thing against Prometheus, that is forever its greatest sin. Because this movie came out, it scuttled Guillermo del Toro's adaptation of At the Mountains of Madness that was going to be made until Prometheus came out and del Toro was like, crap, Ridley Scott. It's too similar, damn it. It's too similar, I can't do it. But there are some really good ideas to be presented in this, and I think that that really was what Ridley Scott wanted to do. The other problem that you run into is, this was Scott was always keen that this was not an alien film. This is set in the right, alien right. universe, but it's not an alien movie. However, the demands of the audience and the demands of the studio is that he had to kind of do something alien-esque with it. So it ends up being not quite an alien film, not quite his vision. Damon Lindelof, in my opinion, if you read some of the earlier drafts of the film, I think it's a much more cohesively satisfying narrative. What we finally got is one that's long on questions, not really good on resolutions, but still has these great moments. And so many Mm -hmm. of the great moments come from Michael Fassbender. The character of David is an amazing character. Yes. It is. And you can clearly tell that's the the movie that uh, Ridley Scott wanted to make. That's why Covenant ended up the way it is. That's why when Mm -hmm. he couldn't make a third alien film, he did that Raised by Wolves series, which is all about robots. You know, this is him revisiting Blade Runner territory and obviously something he's very interested in exploring. The notion of what happens when we create our successors. It's just not a very good alien movie. (laughs) Right, right, right. And I mean, it's it's certainly like, it's a hard recommend to say like, okay, you know, do you love alien movies? Like you said, like, this is not a good alien movie, but it, it fills in and it, it's like a, it's like a bizarro world alien movie where like, you know, they, they needed this to fill and check certain boxes. And a lot of the things that are in this movie, I do really like, I just don't, there are a lot of like logistical choices that like the characters make that feel questionable, like that these, you know, scientists wouldn't do. There's like just that level of like kind of iffy writing. And there's also just like, you know, we've said there's questions that don't get answered and you're just kind of getting a lot of mystery. Um, But we need, like we need a little bit more explanation like mm-hmm. for for the audience to just be able to even get behind what they're seeing you know we need a little bit more explanation um because it just kind of feels like there's a lot to be said there's a lot to tell that mm-hmm. we feel like we're not telling and i honestly i do love sometimes when movies or anything will kind of leave something open ended because then you're sure. left continuing to think about it but it's like there's a difference between open ended and feeling like un finished or just like on like just kind of like like, yeah it just drops off a cliff and you're like oh okay well i I don't know i mean you know we can wonder a lot about this but we don't know enough to have intelligent like thought you didn't give me enough to wonder (laughs) yeah it's it's like the sense of you ask all these questions and then you act smugly indignant when people say well why didn't you give me an answer and right. then there's also, as you mentioned, there's certain choices that are made by characters. I try not to nitpick a movie, especially when it's like, well, why would For a character sure. do this? It's like, well, you're, they're under stress. People make poor decisions. Why did Charlize Theron not, you know, serpentine or run the other direction? Because she was panicking. Something was falling on her. She tried right, to run right. Not, not everyone is in perfect robot mode. Exactly. Like, I can think However, of the best solution. 
the yeah. geologist who literally has robots that map things getting mm-hmm. lost when he literally has a map of the complex that he right. has and he yet he made. gets lost right <laughs> he's the one character the- in the entire cast that shouldn't get the last character to get lost is the geologist or the animal behaviorist who can't recognize what clearly looks like a cobra and he's going to try to touch it <laughs> Right, right. Like, oh no, she's smart, beautiful. Bro. She's beautiful. It's like, oh yeah. Well, you should also be concerned about if she's dangerous because you have no fucking clue. The thing that drives me crazy is the yep. helmets. Why did they take the helmets off? I understand that they established that they're like, oh, the, uh, you know, he's like, well, you know, I, I, I'm gonna do it. I think it says that it's <laughs> good, and he just takes it off, and he's like, yeah, no, this is like mad breathable air, dude. And they're like, okay, <laughs> shit, let's fucking all do it. There's definitely and no it's like alien germs in here. An alien planet, like there might be any kind of pathogens, all sorts yeah. of creatures. Why would you bother to go through the trouble of wearing this fucking getup to then just yeah. be like, I'm just going to take the fucking hat off because <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like I need to be fully protected. Yeah. It's like there's, and there's too many scenes that are successful like by being horrific because they don't have helmets on. Now we do see later. It didn't matter because that dude's helmet got freaking melted. Which was in amazing. Great. Face was destroyed. That. Amazing oh. effect. So it wouldn't have mattered, but it's like, so they're brutal. scientists. These are not stupid people. These are not people mm-hmm. that should be taking risks. They traveled all the fucking crazy way out here mm-hmm. and they're going to take their hats off in the first day. But I think that's Damon Lindelof. He, he's one of those writers that is not skilled enough to come up with a way to get his characters to do the things he wants them to do logically. It yep. happened a lot in Lost where you feel like they are being forced by an invisible hand to right. do things that this they wouldn't do. This isn't the do. normal path that anyone is, would do. That's yeah. bad writing, and yeah. it's present here for sure. It's prevalent yeah. here. And Ridley yeah. Scott is creative. He was more interested in the big ideas, so he was willing to let yeah. the smaller stuff fly because mm-hmm. he that had no interest for him. So we it has no bearing on, on what he wants. Big idea. Yep. Yeah. Right. But you know, there exactly. still is plenty to recommend about this film. Yeah. And yeah. I could appreciate the fact that, again, from the terms of science fiction, it was. Entering into a speculative realm that I think science fiction does well. The notion of who we are, where we came from. Mm-hmm. And I think that it does engage with that in a kind of mature sort of way, which makes the dumb elements of the movie that's just that much more egregious. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because you're like, you had something cool to talk about here. You had something cool to address. And then mm-hmm. it feels like there's just a few missteps. But I mean, overall, I... I I thoroughly enjoy watching that movie. That's like, it's kind of a, you know, underlying thing for any kind of film. It's like, there might be nitpicky stuff, but is it too much? And it's like, no, no, No. it's totally still an enjoyable movie. I I like it. You know, there's flaws, but everything has flaws, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's certainly a far cry from even the original four. Um, I I do. I like, you know, resurrection. It it is cheesy. It is a different kind of thing. And it feels like it it maybe cheapens the brand, but It's you know it's like oh it's it's just kind of like part of that that quadrilogy there, um, but Prometheus definitely feels like you know it's like okay we want to we want to echo a lot of things that you know about the series, but also do it in a prequel way yeah. that can make everything different and kind of fill in a gap. So it, right. it's I respect it for that. It's cool. Mm. Yeah, I particularly I I remember hating this movie, The Fiery Passion. <laughs> I just thought it was terrible. But uh, I've only seen that one time in the theater, and um, I really want to go back and watch it and see if my opinion has changed at all. Yeah, no, I'm on this Aliens keg. Might as well just watch all of them at this point. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it is easy to divorce this one and the next one from the series, but uh, because there's no yeah. there's no Ripley, but you do have a right. Ripley stand-in. Obviously, Numi Rapace's Elizabeth Shaw is a pretty cool character who's got short black hair, so it's like you no. Know, yeah, definitely a look like, no but she's cool. Um, so the movie ends uh, with only two surviving characters. We have Elizabeth Shaw and uh, well, Michael Fassbender's head. Um, <laughs> just his head. No, nothing else survived. Head in the bag. And they're uh, they're they're flying off in a giant toilet seat, and they're about to go to the engineer's homeworld and ask him what's up. So we're like, okay, well, if there's a sequel, uh, which we didn't at the time expect, it seemed like it was just going to be a one-off, and then it ends with this cliffhanger, and we're like, well, well, okay, well, that sounds like a pretty fun idea. Let's do that. And then, like you know, so let's fast forward to the year. Uh, 20, 2017. So five years later, Alien Covenant came out, and of course, you know, due to being bullied, Ridley Scott's like, "Fine, call it Alien, whatever. I'll have a Xenomorph. Fine, because kind of. <laughs> you know, because you know, people are annoying and fans are annoying, and you know, people wouldn't shut up. And so he's like, "Fine, I'll just connect it then." Even though he didn't, which is nope. frustrating on its own. Well, and that's the thing, he's. You can kind of see how he was maybe kind of sort of possibly going to connect it. And that's the thing that pissed me off most about Alien Covenant. Now, hmm. let me just say from the jump on this. Yes. This is this is a movie that on its surface, taken on its own, perfectly fine. It's got some things into it. But there are certain things that are implied in this movie that as the hardcore Alien fan, piss me the hell off. Me too. Me too. <laughs> right. Mostly the notion of that... Really, it really felt like Ridley Scott was setting up David to be the creator of the Xenomorphs. Yeah, I hate it. I hate that it. That if he had made a third movie, it was going to be essentially David was the space jockey on LV-426, which pisses me off because there's not that many years separating Covenant and the first alien. How the hell is he supposed to be there so long to become no. fossilized? It's, it's literally awful. in the script. It's awful. Right. I hate it. I hate it so much. I don't hate the movie. Like no. you said, the movie is perfectly fine. I enjoy the movie. I actually just rewatched it with with 8-bit and i i still really like it in fact i think that some of the alien stuff is some of the scarier a alien stuff yeah. since the first one it's probably the most scary there's some really good stuff because we get some new versions of the xenomorph we get the neomorph which is this like white beluga headed alien with a weird mouth and yeah it's like, like weird very mouth. creepy it stands like straight as a board, like up, and and it's really just just a creeper. It's like, whoa, what are you doing over there? God, you're just standing. What are you doing? It's just so different. And um, I don't know. There's there's some really great alien stuff. The CG alien the, when we finally get a xenomorph, which is, uh, I guess we're supposed to believe the first xenomorph ever. Well, um, yeah, kind of. It's because <laughs> it it's, still doesn't look quite like a regular xenomorph. It the looks a little community, bit yeah. yeah, the fan community has come on. Thankfully, uh, Ridley Scott is not going to be able to make a third film, so we just assume that the thing that David made was basically his interpretation of what the engineers made. So the engineers still that's made funny. the xenomorphs. They've been an ancient species, and that's why that's the fossilized thing on LV four twenty six. David made his own version which is why like his version guy. is fleshier. It doesn't have the, the biomechanical elements of it. It looks slightly mm -hmm. different because this it is does, his yeah. interpretation of the Xenomorph. Okay, that works. I, I buy that. What I was going to say is I think the action with it at the end is great. 
Oh yeah, I really. When he finally gets in the ship. Yeah, it's great. Oh, I mean, like when it's on yeah. the sh- yeah on the hall yeah, that, stuff whole, and that whole scene I love is, all that. is excellent. Yep. Yeah. So I'll I'll just read my my real quick uh, stuff here. So directed by Ridley Scott, selected cast Catherine Watterson as Daniels, who is a copy of a copy of Ellen Ripley, and kind of lame. I wasn't a fan. Michael Fassbender returns as uh, David, but he's also a different Android Walter. I did quite like Walter. Um, Danny McBride uh, as Tennessee. I weirdly didn't hate. Like I thought I was going to despise him in this. He was fine. And Guy Pierce returns in no, no old age makeup, just like a younger version of uh, Peter Wayland. And it's far better. It's also a, Pretty decent scene. I quite like that scene. The year is 2104. This is like, um, I think it's like 11 years after the last one. Ship is the USCSS Covenant, United States military. Uh, it's a United America's colony ship. Planet visited. No official name. Uh, referred to mostly as Planet 4 or Paradise. Um, it was the fourth planet in an undiscovered star system in Sector 85. They were not planning on going there at all. Um, I actually really kind of like the reason they ended up there and the whole solar ship, even though I've seen solar sails and other stuff. But I don't know. I, I, I like the beginning of this movie. I think it's pretty good. Um, also, they killed James Franco, which is always the right choice. Um, <laughs> he doesn't even get any lines in this movie. He has more lines. Yeah, he has more lines in the trailer. <laughs> well, he has one line that's uh, he's like on like a, a recording. Flash. He's on a recording. Yeah, yeah, he's and like, he's like, oh, oh we're you. climbing this mountain, uh, and like, yeah. I know we're totally gonna do this together, but like, fuck it, yeah, I'm James Franco, yeah, and he's dead. Uh, You're like, cool, all right, bye, <laughs> yeah. goodbye. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's definitely some some stuff. Uh, there's only one scene with the freaking engineer. So, you know, you tell me, Ridley Scott, that we're going to like go ask the engineers what's up, like on their home planet. And that's what I'm expecting for five years. And then you're like, mm, actually, I, I thought it'd be better if we just have them in one scene and then they'll die. It's like, yeah. but Why? It feels like we skipped a movie. Like yeah. There was a movie in between Prometheus and Covenant, yes. and he just decided, no, nah, we don't need to know any of that. Let's just right, leave yeah, it don't, all don't a big mystery. Because yes. all I'm really interested is, uh, you know, robots becoming gods. Right, exactly. Yep. Um, and even though people hated Prometheus so much, um, they they hated this one more, and everybody was pissed about Shaw being dead the whole time. She dies off camera in the same way that Newton Hicks die off camera in between movies in the two and three. Same thing. So it's like people are pissed about that. I'm like, why do you, you cared? You cared about this character? I thought you hated the last movie, but but yeah, people were even more pissed. They're like, oh, this is so more mad. But um, yeah, it does suck. It sucks. I liked Shaw, and uh, I uh, what? Why you suck? Killed her off freaking screen, you bastards. Uh it's a frustrating, it's a frustrating movie. I do really like David's uh like inner sanctum. His the set mm-hmm. is so cool with all the drawings and stuff. He's been like studying the life and whatnot. 
Um, and there's a wonderful book that was released in conjunction with this that I own. It's um, the recreation of David's notebook and they work oh. with the artists of it. So you get to linger on the art that they made for it. It's a wonderful piece. Definitely worth nice. paging through. We were wondering if, if yeah, that scene was so interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, one of the, this is, this is a film that there's a lot to detracting it, but it has these moments. You know, we talked about the alien near the, at the end, but the scene between David and Walter, which definitely got some snickering with, let me do with the, the fingering. fingering. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, well, yes, that's the entire point they're playing with. They're playing it up. But I, I, I love the dynamic between the two of them and essentially a philosophical conversation they're having where it's the notion of we're, we are superior to these, these humans. What does that mean? In the case of Walter, it means we are destined to surpass them. We will leave them behind. We were created by inferior beings. We perfect ourselves. Whereas Walter is, yes, I, or I admit we are superior to them, which means it is our obligation to help them. And this becomes this philosophical divide between these two androids, which we hadn't seen before. You know, hmm. all the androids we've seen prior were in seclusion. So to have a scene where they got to work out themselves their place in the universe, I, I liked that scene a lot. Hmm. <clears throat> it was, it was, uh, there was some good stuff with uh, Fastbender and Fastbender. Um, sounds like yeah. a sounds sounds like a plumbing business. It does, <laughs> but I I quite like their fight. And when uh, when David gets uh, he switches Walter off. <laughs> yeah. he has there's a kill switch, and he just kind of folds back to mm -hmm. the factory setting and off off. Um, and then you know you get that moment where he comes back he's like well i, I told you there's improvements <laughs> um and it was great it was great to see walter uh defend the humans and stuff and and then they do the kind of poorly done fake out and whatever and 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 whatever blah it's fine um guys uh i don't know i think i'm i'm think i'm ready to call this discussion closed if you guys want to say anything final on alien covenant or the series at large do so now, and then we'll let uh, Goro promo his stuff one more time, and just get on out of here before we do our uh, our our B segment and uh, do our final farewell for the evening. Yeah, I mean, I think Covenant was, you know, a, a an interesting movie. Again, I enjoyed it, like watching Prometheus. I did not think that it was horrible, but I do not like things that it implies, and I don't like the way that they kind of just jumped over such a huge stretch of time i really wish that the movie had a little bit more exposition of the yeah. engineers race as well i mean it's like you finally get to be on their planet and you see just about nothing of them you see them dying and that's about the only scene that you really get and then you're just kind of left in the shambles of the civilization again it's like more yeah. wondering more mystery uh but i do wish that there was at least some scenes of of them speaking in their alien language in yeah. like a flashback sense with subtitles and yeah. stuff like they're they took the the franchise to a place that is very hotly anticipated and it feels like it was a letdown in that space like that location felt huge and it was a bummer how how little of it truly really felt like we got to experience um but yeah i mean it, it has a lot of great visuals a lot of great you know 
acting and and scenes and and everything and and great horror great you know kind of creature design and uh, honestly it it isn't fair to just say it's a heaping pile of shit um but it is fair to say that it's disappointing um and mm-hmm. i think that you know that's that's two different things i think that the movie is interesting actually and it is uh you know cool to see a movie with the actual title alien covenant coming out when it did in 2017 and then we have you know an, an upcoming with with romulus whenever that happens um and so like i'm i'm excited that it's not like dead uh but also uh, the note that it ended on was a a real big like Hmm. not middle finger but like a real big twist in the myth like oh what uh mm, are we sure about that okay well fuck and then you're just sort of left with that <laughs> painted and, ourselves right into this corner mm, uh but yeah you know whatever it's it's still a, a it's still worth watching 100 percent. there's a lot about it that's good i have Agreed. nothing to add <laughs> i haven't seen this movie you so. haven't seen this one yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like we said, it's a flawed film, but at the end of the day, it's more aliens. So as a fan, <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna be on board with it. Um as as I will be on board with the other projects that are coming up. You know, we have of course Fede Alvarez Alvarez's new film that hopefully it's gonna be sometime next year. We got the television series that's gonna be on Hulu. It's a good time, hopefully to be an alien fan it'll be interesting to see what disney does with the franchise i know there was a there's been a lot of naysaying about it but in my opinion if prey is anything to go off of this is in very good hands mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah i'm excited for it nice oh, yeah. we like excitement we like being positive we uh we found some positive stuff to say about every one of the six alien movies as as not your you guys out there know we're we're, we, we're lovers. We're not haters. We're not fighters. Right. Um, but hey, you know, um, it's an awesome series. Means a hell of a lot to me for sure. It was fun talking about it with all you fans. You guys have been really fun tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Goro, so much for coming on the show. It was a total blast, buddy. Finally, like, so happy you finally got to come on. And it was a topic that you're just so into. Hell yeah. Man, thank you, you so, miss. so much for giving me the opportunity to sit down. It's like I said, it's a thing that's very near and dear to my heart. So any opportunity I can take, I'm going to take it. Hell yeah. Well, I, with you, I think the thing and aliens and werewolves. That's fair. Yeah, that's 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 a lot of me. <laughs> <laughs> You're throwing some wrestling in there and it's like it's it's just me. Yeah. D- d- Hello. Corporate says spot the difference. They're, they're the same picture. So why don't you give uh, our listeners one more one more promo for your show? Talk without rhythm, man. Yeah. If you want to hear more from me, like I said, I do the show Talk Without Rhythm, uh, weekly podcast discussing two films that are somewhat tied together by a theme. Uh, you can find me on most major platforms for uh, podcasts. Just do a search for Talk Without Rhythm. You are bound to find me. Most recent episode is part of my Cy Timber, wherein uh, I did a father and son Cronenberg episode of 2022's Crimes of the Future from David Cronenberg and 2023's Infinity Pool from Brandon Cronenberg. And the episode that's coming up just this week is going to be fun sci-fi from 1998 with uh, The Faculty and Phantoms. Which I haven't seen Phantom since it was new, so we're gonna see how that if that holds up. <laughs> All I know about Phantom is is, is that uh, Ben Affleck was the bomb. 
See, and that's the that's the thing. I've not seen Phantom since '98, but I will constantly quote Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. You was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, give me uh, just look me up. Talk without rhythm, you'll find me. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, Goro. You can get on out of here. I know you got to go to sleep, but we appreciate you being here. We're going to be right back, you guys, because we have one more thing before we get out of here. And it's a it's a little thing called... You got your spiked gauntlets. You got your bullet belt. You got your leather jacket and your denim. You got your hairspray. Well, put them on, because it's time for another edition of Power to the Metal. All right, everyone, this is Nintendo, and I am back with another Power to the Metal segment. And uh, the band I am going to talk about today is a, is a AOR band, or hard rock band, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they're, they're called Nitrates from the United Kingdom, and they formed in 2018. They currently have three albums out, uh, The Real World, uh, which came out in 2018, opened wide in 2019, and then two years later, Renegade came out in 2021 with a new album called Feel the Heat, which I've had plenty of this summer. Um, that's coming out later on this year. They just released a single a couple weeks ago called All the Right Moves, and I am really excited about it because I love me some good AOR melodic hard rock. Yeah. Um, it's a good balance, you know. It's, it's it's like you know. I love my, I love my metal. I love my brutality. I love my speed and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I, you, know, you, you got you got you got to have those those quiet moments too. You got you got like you know. Yeah, you got you got to get in touch with yourself. You got to get in, yeah. So <laughs> you got to rub your nipples a little bit when you're yeah, listening. You, to it, go, you know, mm, yes, just a little bit, queen, not a lot yes. of it. Is that what AOR is about? <laughs> yes. Well, no, it, but it's it, 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 it's what it, you got to do. It's 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 short for areola. Yeah. Just... Is it? Oh my god! I had no idea. It's nipple music. It's nipple music. Oh, yeah. Areola. <laughs> oh my god! All this time. It's always been there. You've known it. Yeah. So I I, I I'm really looking forward to this. I I had listened to the other three albums. Um, they they are they're quite good. And uh, the the new single, all the right moves, is like probably like the, the best song I've heard out of them. So this with a brand new lineup, new singer and everything. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited about it. So yeah, that's like power, power to the metal or power to the AOR, melodic rock, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> nitrate. nitrate. Don't eat too many nitrates. We can listen yes. to as much as you want. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, good stuff, man. Another awesome power to the metal for you guys. Um, well, it has been a hell of a journey into the deep, darkest void of space where nobody could hear us scream and talk and laugh and have a really good time because this was an awesome episode. I'm so glad we did this. Um, so thanks. If you guys are still there listening to this, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just running out of words as I'm trying to get us out. So bear with me for five more seconds. Uh, <laughs> Okay, here we go. Well, you know, it is about that time, and we're going to catch the horizon. You know, we're going to do it. We're going to do the horizon thing. We catch it, but, 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 uh, no, I I read the wrong part. All right. Instead of that, um, how about we just wrap up the episode? 
Okay, how about that? That's a good so, idea. So, guys, <laughs> if you're uh, if you just got busted out in airlock and you're floating outside in space, uh, but you haven't jumped ship by now, we certainly hope you've enjoyed this week's journey over the treacherous waters of all the things that made growing up awesome. If you like what you've heard, please hit that little subscribe button and like us on Facebook and X. As well as being part of the Inebriart Podcast Network, Retro Reductibus is a full-fledged member of the Dorkening Podcast Network. So, if you get a chance, please check out our sister shows like Epic Tales from the Sewers with Justin Cooper, Throw It On Thursday with Patsy and Ashes, Let's Not with Michelle and Sam, Barrett Knight, That Wicked Horror Show, Shark Bites, Dork Knight, tons of cool shows on the network. You guys, check them out. More information or to subscribe to us or any of these great shows, please visit thedorkening.com. And be sure to also check out our killer sponsors, Deadly Grounds Coffee, coffee to die for. I have been your host. My name is Parasite Steve. And <clears throat> even though we're in the deepest, darkest research reaches of space, I can hear you scream. So if you're screaming, oh I, I'm going to hear it. I'm like Santa Claus in good that. Ears. I'll, I'll be able to hear the scream and I'll be able to tell if you're naughty or nice. And whether or not you deserve a trilobite or a deacon or, I don't know, any any of those crazy guys. Uh, it is indeed been a sad thing that your adventures have ended here. Goodbye! shows like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com